Yeah, direct misfire, aiming up hits. Bend some spoon and sell liquor in the mix. Follow along, stay up to date. Comment, like, subscribe today. miserable places in the world are the domain of rats. If ever a race was destined for slavery, ideally suited for the despair and brutal life it offered, it was the vermin. Bazakra Grim, overmaster of the gift peers of Zarak, wanted more. More work, more blood, more pain, more productivity, more sacrifice, more slaves. A seemingly endless supply simply wasn't enough. Bazak began to experiment. Consumed by his madness, he locked himself away while he worked in a frenzy on his project rarely seen. Strange, chittering screeches and agonized wails came from behind the locked doors of Bazak's laboratory. After a while, Bazak was forgotten, and a new overmaster took his place. Hello champs and welcome once again to another Direct Misfire Army review. Joining me today, as always, is Selick. Hey, hey. And Hugh. <laughs> as we examine and scrutinize the Ratkin Army list. So pull up a seat, grab a drink, and let's get into it. Before we go any further though, Benson, <laughs> I think uh, we should probably address why we're doing the Ratkin over any other army as our first third edition army review. Yes, why is that? Because of course... It's the choice of the people. We had uh, 48 votes. Where was this? Across Facebook and Twitter? Uh, so everything was fed from Twitter and Facebook all to the one location this time. So it was a little bit easier for me. Nice. Awesome. So quite a lot of votes and ended up with a pretty even spread of every other army. But then uh, Ratkin easily in the lead with a 17% of the vote. You boy. Mm. Mm. I suspect trickery there. But anyway, it's done. <laughs> Can't trust a rat. <laughs> okay, let's get straight into it because it could be a lengthy episode as most of our army reviews are. So we'll start off with the Ratkin. Obviously, they are evil little buggers. And their special upgrade is the Plague Pots, which is one of the best special upgrades in the game, I feel. But basically, once per game, at the start of your turn, you get to choose to give the unit ensnare and stealthy special rules until the start of the next turn. Mm. Uh, so it's just a, a one-use item, pop it at the start of your turn, and that unit gets ensnare and stealthy, which is fantastic. So it's a 15-point item. Uh, most of the infantry units have it um, mm. as an option for a 15-point upgrade, except for the wretches, the, which are like crappy slave dudes. That the rubbish it. rats. Mm. Spendy rats. Yeah. So it's nowhere near an army-wide special rule. You're likely to have it on one or two units. If at all, unlike a lot of other army spied special rules, like say, I don't know, Pathfinder, you think that's this is better than Pathfinder? <laughs> I don't think so. So it's not quite an army wide special rule because in version two they had that sort of thing, but um, in version three, like the herd or force of nature, the herd has the frenzied otter upgrade instead of Pathfinder's 
and that's just it's like mm-hmm. a pseudo vicious. So mm-hmm. the rat can have plague pots instead as the for the upgrade. Yeah, that's it. So it's the it's the army wide upgrade, I guess, rather than special rule, isn't it? And then yeah. um, if they have an army wide special rule, which they sort of do, it's rallying. Mm-hmm. So most again, it's mainly just on the infantry hordes and a couple of other like misc uh, special units. They've got that rallying one. Yeah. So they've almost got two special rules, don't they? Yeah, which a lot of the armies do have have something along those lines, like like they've got that little upgrade friend and then the uh, rallying thing. For the Ratkin, like it's deceptive to say that like it's across every army. Like you can pretty comfortably say in the Pathfinder example, nearly every unit has Pathfinder. I don't know if there's one or two exceptions, Benson. Maybe there is. But yeah, there are. Yep. Yeah, thought thought there was uh, you know one or two, but. Uh, for the Ratkin ones, they're specifically on their infantry units. Hmm. Okay. So speaking of infantry, the first cab off the rank are just your standard warriors. So these are speed six, melee five, defense four, infantry fellas. No range on there. They come in regiments and hordes. Unit strength two and three for each of those. 12 attacks for the regiment, 25 for the horde. And then nerve is 12-14 for the regiment and 19-21 for the horde. Pretty cheap, 85 points mm-hmm. and 145 respectively. Like we were saying, the Horde has rallying one and you can give them Plague Pots. But other than that, there's, they're pretty bland. No crushing, no fancy wild charge, just mainly five, defense four. Yeah, if you compare like Ratkin units in general, and this is a good example, against sort of, you know, your, your bog standard sort of human equivalent or what have you, mm-hmm. then um, you'll find that often your one or two nerve down depending on the army you're comparing with, of course, and uh, the ner- and the melee is crap. All the base rats are melee five plus. In other words, they're... they're it's kind of like goblins. Decent amount of crapper, mm. yeah. That's a good point. They're more like goblins, but they are quite cheap, of course. So this is your cheapest unlock coming in at mm. 85 points. Not quite as good as like a 70-point unlock in the form of the undead sort of uh, zombie <laughs> kind of characters, but, but that's not undead. too shabby either. <laughs> 85 points for an unlock is not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So do you give them the plate pots or do you just run them vanilla? No. Okay. And uh, then, uh, it's a good question, actually. I don't think it's as simple as just no. I I think it's not like a high priority item, but if you had a few points left over or something, you might do. They have a much more effective use if you do give them the plague pots because what you can do is sort of in that, you know, hanging out on the flank unit regiment versus regiment kind of scenario, which is all, all too common. We just kind of float around trying to get objectives and stuff because obviously they're not going to kill much with 12 attacks on five up to hit. But giving them the plague pots gives you the option of sort of whacking them in a forest and sort of daring people to charge you. And it can hold what, what you usually find with plague pots. It's probably worth addressing them now is that what they really do is they say once per game, no one will charge you. <laughs> So yeah. that's what they actually sort of effectively do on the tabletop, depending on how you line things up and stuff. I mean, if you're massively overwhelmed already and you're just going to get charged and taken off, then I guess they don't do anything in that instance. But more often than not, in sort of a similar point, so facing off against one another, you pop the plague pots. Your opponent's very heavily motivated to not charge in because if they do, of course, very good chance you won't break the unit because of that ensnare, especially if they're impeded because it does stack with impeded, unlike phalanx and things like that. Mm. So if they're at a negative two, and that's what you kind of try to line it up as as the Ratkin player, then then it's it's an obvious trap, I suppose. No one no one wants to charge into that usually. Having played Ratkin a fair bit, have you found that the stealthy is an element or is it all about the ensnare? It's all about the ensnare. Okay. So there's never been any situations where you think, all right, I'm going to get shot a whole bunch next turn, I'd better pop the pots. 
in all my third ed games with them so far, there's only been one scenario where I've actually used it for stealthy when there was a couple of war machines facing down a fairly critical unit, which I was just trying to hang out an objective for. But that's a very rare thing. Because we don't really face massive gunline armies, so any shooting is kind of a bit meh. There's been a few times where it's been kind of a bonus. Like you've got two large hordes kind of walking at each other, right? Yeah. And you're in that position where you're like, whoever charges first is going to get a significant advantage. So you sort of move up into charge range, pop the pots, and then your opponent's kind of in this situation where they're like, damned if they do, damned if they don't. If they charge, they get the ensnare, which will probably save the horde that they're charging against, and then they'll cop the counter charge. But if they don't charge, they'll just be charged. But in one of those sort of mixed arms kind of lists that's got a reasonable amount of shooting in it as well, that choice is even harder because it's like, if I don't charge, then I get to shoot the unit, but now they've got stealthy, so it's, yeah, mm. you know. But the thing is, w- the problem with stealthy, unlike in snare, really, is that you've got different options of what to shoot. It's not like I charge this unit or no unit. It's I can shoot maybe half a dozen different options. So if mm. one or two units has stealthy, they'll shoot the ones that don't have stealthy. Mm-hmm. So that's why Night Stalkers, the, the whole army has stealthy, it, it comes in handy all the time and it's relevant. But anyone who's played with like one or two units that have stealthy, they'll probably know that, you know, it, it just it doesn't really come up. Yeah, I think stealthy in third edition so far in our meta that we've played around or been around uh, has lost its value a little bit. I just don't think that we see the big shooty armies as Benson said earlier. Yeah, and and Ratkin are kind of quite a hoardy army, as as you've already can tell probably just from analysing these sort of army wide rules. Like rallying is only on a horde to begin with, so you're motivated to take hordes. Plague pots obviously gains a lot of value when you use it on a horde. Mm. So if you want to be a horde army, you're going to have a lot of targets. So again, that devalues stealthy a bit. Well, as compared to like a super elite army where they've got one really juicy target, and then if that unit's stealthy, obviously that you know carries a bit more weight. So I think to really address the warriors, we probably have to look at the spear warriors, which is like a slight upgrade with it mm-hmm. at the same time. So spear warriors, they come in, same speed six, still melee five, no range, obviously, defense four still. Uh, the only difference here is that the regiment unit strength goes up to three in the regiment and the horde goes up to four and the attacks uh, respectively go to 15 and 30. And the nerve stays exactly the same, so 12, 14, and 19, 21. The points go up by about 20 points, I think it is, uh, for the regiment. So 105 and 180 for the horde. So they've got all exactly the same options. There's slightly higher unit strength. They get the phalanx rule, um, still get access to the plague pots. Hmm. Yeah, so this being our first third ed army review, this will be the first time we've come across it, you know, on the podcast, of course, but I'm sure virtually every listener is aware of this kind of comparison because I don't want to say most armies, but certainly a very large number of armies have this kind of bog standard warrior unit and then you've got your spear upgrade. In Ratkin, I think it's really good. I think it's really, really good. And the main reason is that that 20-point increase takes them over 100. And when you go over 100 on a regiment, typically you go up to that unit strength three. So an extra, the unit strength feels free when you look at the comparison because three attacks and phalanx probably worth the 20 points. Uh, in a lot of scenarios, they hold a flank significantly better against obviously cavalry and flyers. They have that extra sort of tool in their arsenal. And even the three extra attacks, even at fives to hit, it gives them something. It means that if you're flanking or something, you're somewhat of a threat sometimes, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. You can get like bane chanted in the flank and then sometimes you do something. I find that the poxy little 15 attacks um, 
sometimes does a little bit more than I think it's going to. Just the extra weight of dice, sometimes you you spike a bit more and that kind of thing. So that 20 points feels worth it anyway, but then plonking on a unit strength is awesome. Mm. So mm. really like the 105-point regiment. Yep. So in saying that, how do you look at Warriors now if we go back to their regiments? So minus 20 points just for the regiment side for the sake of this combo. Negative three attacks, same nerve, plus one unit strength, plus 20 points. Do you take the regiment of Spear Warriors every day of the week over the Warriors? Almost every day. Every day except like, you know, twice on Sunday. Because I think that the regiment, especially when you're comparing regiments, uh, a horde of Warriors strikes me as almost completely useless as we get down to the other regiments. You'll kind of see, like, I don't really understand where they fit in. Mm. A horde of spear warriors has more of a use. You've got this big ensnare block, relatively cheap at 180 points. But, uh, yeah, even at the regiment level, I tend to prefer the spears these days after experimenting a bit with both. And I think the only reason I'd ever take warriors is I just really need a cheap unlock. They are that 20 points less and I'm really tight for points at the end of my list. So Mm. a handful of times I have actually replaced a spear warriors unit with a warriors unit when I'm trying to like trim a few points here or there. That's about it really. Because I think for the regiments, because it's 12-14, you might go up to 13-15. If they're getting attacked with defense four, I feel like they're just going to disappear. I mean, playing as goblins, that's just what happens to my regiments. So I'd rather just save 20 points per regiment if they're just going to get charged and die. I understand that, but it against non-cavalry, definitely agree with that. But the if the cavalry are not going to be impeded, I just find, like, I, I agree with that in principle and I agree with that generally on paper, but I find in practice on the board, I'm so frequently having these regiments of cavalry that are hanging out in the flanks or whatever having phalanx really gives the unit a purpose not having phalanx is just like well they're a minor roadblock for the unit to go through well the difference of phalanx when you say no thunderous charge and minus one to hit it actually changes that equation completely such that they actually hold most of the time particularly if they're inspired Mm-hmm. It's no sure thing. Like something, a really hardcore cavalry unit might still go through you, but statistically speaking, you should probably hold once, and that holding once on the flank is a huge difference. And your opponent knows it as well. They're like, you know, they've mentally they've got like, well, because they got phalanx, if I charge them, I probably won't go through them. So now I've got this weird dilemma where there's only a hundred point unit. And often they might just avoid it and go into the center with the cavalry or something instead, in which case I think the unit's achieved its goal. It's got three unit strength marching up the board. And in a lot of scenarios, that's great. If they're, if they're avoiding that, then happy days. When your opponent has no cavalry and no flyers, if you knew that ahead of time, I would, I would agree with Benson. Just go to the Warriors uh, because bugger it. Do you think that increases the value of inspiring heroes that we'll discuss later? Yeah, um, inspiring is pretty damn critical in any army, but I think especially Ratkin, they don't have a lot of speed for the most part. They do have a few fast units, but mostly they're just movement six sloggers. And any ogre player will tell you that when you've got this sort of middling to low nerve and you are very likely to receive a charge before you can get busy, maybe even several charges, you really need that inspiring. It's, It's very critical for this army. Okay, cool. All right, well, I guess it's my turn and I get to move on to my favourite infantry unit in the army, uh, which is... Scurriers. The Shock Troops. <laughs> <laughs> Scurriers. Said no one ever. We'll get to them in due course. That should be amusing. But your Shock Troops are your other sort of unit that you're tossing up really between these three when you're talking about getting your unlocks for the rest of your army. For the most part, these are the three units you're looking at. So the Shock Troops are your better version of base infantry, speed six, 
melee four, defense four, so they're not melee five, critically. Mm-hmm. They have um, still defense four, though, so pretty bad defense. But on the troop, you can get a troop of them, which is unusual for Ratkin. Don't really know why you'd ever take it, but unit strength one, 12 attacks, 9-11 nerve, 85 points. So it's kind of a cheap chaffy unit, but when you compare it to a regiment of warriors, which is an unlock for the same price and a bit more nerve, don't don't really get it, but whatever. You've also got the regiment option, which is unit strength three, 15 attacks, 13, 15 nerve. So you get one extra nerve over a warrior or spear warrior for that matter. And in the horde, which is the way you're going to take them nearly every time, they come in at unit strength four, they have 30 attacks and nerve 20 slash 22, which for a Ratkin is a very brave. Mm. So that's 220 points for the Horde. And honestly, after playing Ratkin for some years now and trying the different permutations of these units, I don't understand really why you're ever taking anything other than the Horde on these guys. They are they are a Horde unit. You might as well just put them on a Horde base to begin with if you want to. Yeah. Just thinking of mass, if you took two troops... Would that be a target to get shot at, or do you think they're not that... I mean, they're going to be inspired, but if you take two troops... Yeah, to, to an extent, they're a target to get shot at. They do have Crushing 1. I forgot to mention that. We didn't get to it yet. And the Horde, of course, has Rallying 1. So, in a troop, yeah. Two troops charging units, 24 attacks. Yeah, sure. To If you manage to orchestrate that somehow. For quite a bit less than a Horde as well. It's still six less than a Horde, yeah. And um, not many less points. You're already at 170 for two troops and they just died to a stiff breeze nerve 9 11 defense 4 probably 10 12 I mean, when you compare it to anything else around that points cost because they we do have as we'll get to several other units around that 85 if you want like cheap chaff whatever else you either get a warrior which is tougher for an unlock for the bigger footprint or you get one of the other kind of more chaffy units so yeah no nah, you leave the troop at home i think i tend to agree i think the way that you're sort of thinking at the moment, Benson, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you just spammed a whole heap of regiments, so cheap warriors or equivalents, and then you chucked in a couple of shock troops, so all of a sudden they just can't possibly kill all of your units, mm. and then mm. use your shock troops in the flanks to try and get 24 attacks or so to really start to knock them about, I think they would just end up targeting the only units that could actually impact it with flame weapons or uh, ranged attacks to take them out. So, mm. I, I don't know. I think it could work, yeah. There could be a niche option against armies that have no shooting, but 9-11 nerve, yeah, they're not, they're not lasting and they're not quite as mobile as other units of similar value if you do want a cheap unit. They do hit reasonably hard, though. I don't know. It's, maybe there's a niche use of them, but um, wouldn't bother mounting your you know, hardcore storm vermin models or whatever models you're using to represent the shock troops. Wouldn't bother putting them on a troop base if I were you. The regiment's not bad. Um, It's just that the horde fits such a role, as we get to in the rest of the list as well, you need a unit that can take a punch because, again, you are a reasonably slow army that has to rely on counterpunching a lot of the time. So you need a unit that can take a punch, which this unit's the best unit in the list for that, and also dish out a punch, which they still do. So they used to have elite and vicious in the previous edition and a lot of people are just discarding them now as nowhere near as good anymore that's complete rubbish because they've got 30 attacks versus 25 so yes they've lost elite and vicious they've got five more attacks it's almost a wash statistically speaking they were slightly better on the aggression before but you can still give them elite or vicious or whatever else and the thing that i love about them as well now is that they've got that little bit of extra versatility because you can give them a plague pots and you can also pay 25 points on the horde or 15 on the regiment to give them heavy halberds, which gives them phalanx. 
So they've already got lots of attacks. I quite like one of each. Phalanx and Plague Pots is an option too, but it's quite a lot of points. Even before mm. a magic item at that point, you're looking at mm. 260 points. 40 points, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, 40 points to give them both. Which for me, just when you're coming down to refining those last few points on the list, I find it a bit hard to fit it in there. But I find in most of my lists that I've had significant success with, it's you know due to that core of two hordes of shock troops. And I tend to give one heavy halberds and one plague pots. But that's in part just because of the, the miniatures I've got. Because I've got one you know unit of sort of plague monkey looking dudes who fit the plague pots thing really well. And then a unit of storm vermins with big old halberds. So, of course, I'm going to give them heavy halberds. So I admit that the miniature selection I've got is a, a big part of what persuades me to do that. But having having a huge big horde of phalanx ratties is uh, pretty hard to deal with. Yeah, still 30 attacks on the horde, hitting on fours, so 50-50, uh, with crushing strength one as a base with no items at all. That's mm-hmm. that's not rubbish. And I think that this list needs something that can actually hurt or else you'll just end up just wiping all over it. So Yeah, and Bane Chant's readily available in the list. So I find that... The, and Bane Chant 3 as well as readily available, which is very mm-hmm. reliable. So when you've got Nerve 2022 and you boost that up a couple of points with Rallying which is the reality of how it ends up working. And you're sitting around with like this 22, 24 nerve unit. Yes, you're defense four, but you've also got either phalanx or plague pots, which can really throw a spanner in the works. Yeah, There's very, very few units in the game that can charge you and reliably take you off, or even very few two units in the game, really, if, if you've got plague pots off. Then they take the charge and charge back with 30 attacks at crush two. Once you sort of have your your nuance in your army to make sure that these sort of combinations work out for you, then a center of a couple of hordes of shock troops will do you well in pretty well every list. Mm. Just jumping back before we get to the next unit, we should make mention that the warriors have an expendable keyword. The other keywords don't really matter at the moment, but expendable is used later on. Good point. Yeah, if you're going heavy on broodmothers, then warriors get a bit of a boost over spear warriors on account of that expendable Mm. keyword. Yeah. The other unit with expendable are the wretches, which are an irregular infantry. Speed 6, melee 5, defense 2, so quite a bit weaker than the others. These guys only come in hordes and legions, so for the horde you get your 3 unit strength of 25 attacks, 18-21, so the uh, range between for wavering is a little bit bigger than the others, but they're only 115 points for that horde. Mm. The legions, unit strength 4, 30 attacks, 24-27 on the nerve for 170, and they have no special rules. Other than that expendable keyword, it's not really special, but it's it's something to make note for the the brood mothers yeah really they just miss out on the special rules because they don't have the horde um they don't have the rallying sorry they do have the horde they don't have the rallying on the horde is what i meant to say Mm. Uh, and they don't have plague pots as an option or any other options for that matter but 115 point horde to uh soak up some damage is pretty good yeah it's not bad i mean they compete with that 85 point warrior regiment or 145 if you want the horde of warriors i suppose and the 105 point spear warrior regiment so there are a few more points for that horde. They do have the higher nerve, of course, because they're a horde, and more attacks, but their attacks still suck, and their defense two. The difference between defense four and two can be significant. Obviously, it depends on the matchup. Sometimes I like to have the wretches face off against things like dragons and stuff, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Things with relatively few attacks, but a lot of crushing. That's where you want your wretches versus your warriors and stuff. Because defense two, it's like, who cares? Anything kills me. It's just wasted, yep. And then that way they can take that charge and survive one round. That's kind of all you ever want your wretches to do. They're not great. They definitely took a pretty big hit 
this edition, but I think they're appropriately pointed and they mm-hmm. fit sort of in that in-between role. Hmm. Yeah. They don't cure anything generally. They can, if they get shot at, they die really fast. A lot of people don't shoot the hordes because they sort of think, oh no, I'll shoot like a higher value target and they use their like bows or something on your monster or some equivalent thereof. But yep. I think actually, as much as I don't want to tell people this, I think putting a couple of volleys into the wretches is pretty worthwhile because they're defense two. So nearly everything that hits counts as a wound, even even with no piercing at all. Mm-hmm. Then when you do charge them, they're just, they're just gone versus virtually Helps everything. Helps game. Yeah. yeah. Just getting like, it's remarkably easier to shoot them like with like two regiments of archers and then they're just sitting on like 10 or 12 wounds and you charge them with anything and they die. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's the anti-wretch tactic. You could say that absorbing fire is good, but my problem with wretches at the most part in this edition, especially in some small board games, if you're playing on a smaller board, and I've definitely felt the pinch of this recently, having a horde footprint on a unit that's so garbage is tricky. Like, But at the same time, I think it's good that you can't take a regiment anymore because it was it was kind of lame how like dirt cheap those regiments were. Mm. You, you kind of have to pay the price. The price that you pay that's not as obvious on paper is that enormous footprint for a unit that does three-fifths of nothing. Hmm. Yeah. All righties. Where do you deploy them? So I know that we're just about to wrap up the infantry, but if you have a look at the wretches and we go the hordes and legions, and assuming that we've already thought about our deployment here, do you deploy these on the flank or up in the middle? Or what would you do, Hugh? Yeah, on the flank generally. Maybe I need to try them in the centre every now and again. If I took an army that didn't have two hordes of shock troops which tend to be so good at holding your center, not only because they're tough and they've got good counterpunch, but also because they rally one another, which is really critical uh, to making sure they stick around. If, if I had an army that didn't have two hordes of shock troops in the middle, I might consider throwing these guys in the middle every now and again, but ultimately they're there to absorb one charge and to try to sit on objectives and use unit strength. Mm, okay. That's their purpose. So they do that better on a flank just bothering people and with 25 attacks on the horde i've never tried the legion it just seems a little bit it seems like they fulfill the same role but for significantly more points uh, and only five more attacks but a horde with 25 attacks if you do whack them on the flank and you're moving your army up your opponent can't really completely ignore them because if they charge something in the flank they've still got 50 attacks Mm. like they're crappy slave attacks but there's there's 50 of them. And if you throw a Banchan mm. in there, then all of a sudden they're uh, starting to look pretty scary. So your opponent's kind of forced to put something into them. And flank mm. units are likely to have lower numbers of attacks. People love their fast, heavy-hitting flank kind of units. So against a lot of armies, having a unit of this on the flank is is quite a useful little deterrent. Okay. I have an idea of putting a horde of wretches behind your main battle line and popping maybe... Two brood mothers on either side, mm. and using that wretch horde as purely a battery for uh, the brood mother drain life ability. Yeah, it's a pretty cool idea. The list definitely sort of indicates that that's a cool thing to do. You can also do it with a unit of warriors for a few less points because you don't actually take a you don't take a uh, nerve roll when you get hit with the brood mother stuff. The issue is with the warriors is their defense four, so you need to still damage them. And if you're hitting on defense four, so you've got to roll threes, whereas the uh, wretches are defense two, so just about everything will be converting into life. Good point. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to try it sometime. I've never tried it. I, I have tried the broodmother in bits and pieces. We'll get to her in due course, I suppose. Drain life but... 20 seems very scary. After facing Morgoth's drain life nine and thinking, 
how <laughs> annoying that is. Drain life 20 yeah. would be great. But it's not drain life 20. It's heal, it's heal 20 at that point. You're not draining anyone's life. You're just healing because you're only hitting your own unit. So it's not at all like Morgoth who, when he goes in and does four wounds to something, that's an eight-point swing. You know, it's four damage to whatever you're fighting and it's healing for. This is just, it's just a big heal. Heal 20 is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's a huge amount of points that are doing absolutely stone nothing else, but it is still an interesting idea. You should be able to just look at any unit that's got damage on it and more or less take that damage off. So it is appealing, even even with this double shock troop center kind of thing I've been talking about. Yeah, I'd love to try it actually. Just wretches and double broodmother behind them, see how it goes. Mm. It does seem like quite a lot of points to achieve that, and but sometimes that could be really worthwhile. Mm. Hmm, an interesting one. I, I could see it backfiring as well. You could spend all of these points and then a double combo <laughs> charge and it will just be wiped off in a turn. So That's it. That's the problem with over-investing in heal, right? Yeah. Especially on units that don't have high defense. Part of the reason that the Empire of Dust are so such a pain in the ass to deal with is all their heal. But then they also have units with really high nerve and really high defense. Well as <laughs> and feelings. Mm, yeah. can have low defense across the board and below average nerve. So, so I, f- I feel like you're mainly using that on your shock troop hordes to heal mm. them up. After they receive a charge from something, heal them back up to full and then they're still a fighting force. And that seems really useful and kind of scary to me. I can't really think of another unit in this entire army that... I'd want to dedicate a significant amount of resources to try to heal, except possibly tunnel runners as we get to them because I quite like that unit. What about okay. the the shock troops that you've spent three hundred points on for all the upgrades and brewer strength? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a shitload of eggs in one basket, but it could really work. It could be cool. I yeah, like the idea. All them eggs, eggs, all that basket. Yeah, it's sort of it's not. You're almost not a horde army anymore, are you? Like you're like a super elite core of super rats. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's, it's cool. It's cool. Speaking idea. of super rats, we're talking about ranged infantry. Let's just jump into the best ones here. Who wants That's to carry it. on with the scurriers? I will. Scurriers or the claw shots? No, we'll go with scurriers <laughs> first. We'll do the, okay. we'll save we'll do the, the, the worst for last. <laughs> All right. So speed six, melee four, range four, defense three. Uh, the troops, a unit strength one with eight attacks. Uh, the nerves, uh, nine, 11 at 111, uh, 115 points. Sorry. Uh, the regiments, Unit strength 2, attacks 10, 13, 15 with 155 points. Their special rules, however, are Duelist, Scout, and Vicious. And they've got uh, Blight Throwers at 18 inches, obviously, with uh, Steady Aim. They've also got access to the Plague Bots. What do you think? What do you, what do, you do with them? I don't understand what their point is. I don't think anyone knows. They're hot garbage. There's so many points. This would have to be a contender for the worst unit in the game, I reckon. They're not They're not even stealthy. Because I've only got a troop. I'd actually love to try a regiment sometime for a bit of fun. I uh, might even try it on UB or something with, with some of you guys just to try out a unit You know, from time to time. I have tried out the troop and it's, it's exactly as bad as it looks. It's just a lot of points. You're paying all these points for these different abilities. Vicious, Scout, Duelist. They don't go well together. Duelist on a movement six unit? Like how are you going to, on a regiment or, or troop for that matter, How who's going to put their mage or something in front of your regiment within charge range for them to go in and hit? They don't even have Pathfinder. So even though they've got Scout, if you want to move up close to things and throw your 18-inch really garbage, no-piercing shooting attacks at people, then who's going to be dopey enough to put a mage in front of them? Even if they do, <laughs> even if they do, and you've got to charge through terrain, which you probably will have to have somehow got yourself in that position, then 
you know, they're going to be minus one to hit. And even with duelists, they're still not going to kill whatever they're charging. Like it, it almost has to be a really <laughs> crap hero in the open, standing 12 inches in front of your shooting unit. Like, oh God, it's just an absurd scenario. And they're irregular, so they're not unlocking either. Yeah, two regiments with like an assassin nearby. It'd be great if the assassin had... Uh, sorry, they're not called Assassin anymore. They're called Master Scurriers. It'd be awesome if, like in a lot of other lists, he gave inspiring just for Scurriers. But he doesn't have that, but that would be a cool little fluffy thing. They do nothing. They're vicious works on their ranged attacks, so that's something. That's true. That's true. They can re-roll to wounds on, on a roll of a one. They don't have piercing, though. Yeah, but they've only got eight and ten shots. So yep. like, they're hitting roughly 50% of the time. Math Hammer doesn't work, but... Like, I mean, still then, it's like four and maybe five it's yeah, hits. No, I, I'd say not even 50 because they don't ignore cover, they don't move and shoot without penalty, and they've only got that 8-inch range. So you kind of need an ideal scenario for them to be hitting on fours. Oh, they got steady aim, so they do move and shoot. Oh, I apologise. I missed yeah. the steady aim. Yep. Yeah, so they can move and shoot, which is nice. But I mean, having a read of the background here, like the description, scurry teams train and act as scouts. They are agile and adept at striking enemy weak points. I mean, speed six doesn't seem any more agile than any other infantry. If they had speed seven nimble for exactly the same price point, you might be like, oh, that's kind of interesting. They might actually get to charge a character from time to time. They might be able to move and then rotate cunningly, use their nimble a bit to shoot something that otherwise wouldn't be shot and put, I don't know, one or two wounds on it. For God's sake, 115 points for a Nerve 911 Defense 3 unit. <laughs> or 155 <laughs> points for a regiment which unlocks nothing, has Nerve 13, 15, and Defense 3. If anyone farts in their general direction, they die. They cost heaps of points and they don't kill anything. Yeah, I reckon uh, remove Duelist and give them Nimble. Or Stealthy or something. They need, yeah, Speed 7 Nimble. Get rid of or, Duelist. Or just let them unlock or something so someone can take some sort of theme army... We've got a couple of regiments of scurriers and they're doing nimble, you know, sneaky assassin stuff. And Yeah, if they're supposed to be doing covert operations, give them stealthy. Oh, they're, they're shocking. Anyway, yep, that's enough about scurriers. <laughs> uh, they did make... The, they, by the way, they were shocking in the last edition and they're, they're cheaper now and they're still shocking. They're, they're, they're just nimble. as bad. Mm-hmm. I can't even fix them with artifacts. No, no, you don't want to make them any more expensive. They're still defense three potatoes. Um, <laughs> you, you, you're tempted to hide them in terrain, right? To try to like protect them because they're so easy to kill and because that's like a scouty, sneaky thing to do. But, but they then, don't have Pathfinder. Because they don't have Pathfinder, that, that really screws them. They give, you know, they're going to be a neg one to hit because of everything and I don't know the shit. Maybe like, even Strider. So they're not running super fast, but at least they know how to jump twigs. Strider would be all right. A lot of units I find that fit into this kind of scouty kind of category sometimes suffer from... They have a lot of special rules to try to to make them into this cool, stealthy, scouty kind of unit. And by the time you pay all the points for those special rules, they're just like a poxy stat line that costs a lot of points. Mm. And scurriers definitely have that problem, but their special rules don't mesh in any kind of useful way, unlike some of the other scouts and things. So yep. leave them at home uh, until they get a buff. Yeah, particularly when they've got a regular... Like they just lose value very rapidly. Damn it! I can't even ally them. <laughs> <laughs> said no one ever. It's the first time anyone's ever said that. Okay, claw shots. So another regular unit. Um, interesting unit. They're a troop of heavy infantry. So mm-hmm. they come in at ten figures in the larger base. And the reason for that is that every man and his dog is going to use Gisales to represent them, which are on a cavalry base. So five wide is a troop. They have melee 5+, plus. who cares? Range 4+, plus, which is awesome. And defense of 5+, plus, which is also kind of awesome. 
only nerve eight ten, but every now and again someone sort of sprays in their direction and they don't die just by virtue of that defense five, defense five which is kind of nice. But why do you take them for ninety five points? You you should think of them as very similar to a war machine because they've got five attacks. Mm. They only come in the troop. They hit on a four, which is great with a thirty six inch range. Even with the all too often stealthy or um, or cover or what have you, still hitting on a five with five attacks is fairly reliable of getting one or two through and pierce two. So what they do is they reach out and they put one or two wounds on something really, really, really reliably. So that's great. And they have unit strength. And they have unit strength, unlike a war machine, that's correct. So you can, it, it even says, note, the front rank of models should be represented with large shields, just in case you didn't realize you meant to use Gisales as this model. Yeah. Yeah, they, they sit on an objective potentially, unlike a war machine, pop one wound or two at range and just finish off those units that probably should have died from a charge and manage to luck out on the nerve roll or even just over time chipping away two or three wounds on a um, on a dragon or something or a cavalry unit that your army otherwise has trouble dealing with mm. and being unit strength at the same time. How many are we taking? One unit, two units? Well, you could take as many as you felt like, I guess, but probably one or none in my list. I mean, I only have one, so that sort of makes it a bit biased, I suppose. But yeah, one, one's great. I try to fit my one unit in most of my lists. I think they're just really useful i've even had games where they've ended up on a flank and deployment has been such that they kind of aren't, don't have that much useful units to shoot and they just mm. end up moving up the table up to 12 inches a turn again unlike a war machine and just gun up and stand on an objective and then finally like shoot and turn six or something which is fine for 95 points frankly that doesn't happen very often more often i put them in the middle at the very back of my army and just chip away shots and if your mm-hmm. opponent lands behind you with a flyer and they actually go for your claw shots, usually I'm really happy with that scenario because it brings them out of the main battle line for long enough for that the claw shots feel like they've well and truly made up their points. If they've put like four wounds out and then died on turn three to some monstrosity of a flyer that costs way more points than them, pretty happy with that result, really. Hmm. Yeah, claw shots, I rate them. Piercing arrow, worth yeah. 10 points. Reroll that one damage. I actually think uh, reroll to hit, yeah. Uh, never, Never tried it. But don't see why not, yeah. Just to make sure, if you're just trying to make that um, nerve check, that at least something should damage or hit. I mean, you, you get about two to three hits a turn. Obviously, two and a half if you're hitting on fours. Uh, one and something if you're hitting on fives on average. But So then if you do fail to wound, sure. I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things like if you've got 10 points left over and nothing better to put it on, and not 15 points because you can probably put plague pots on something, mm. then then sure. But... Keeping him cheap and nasty seems fine to me. You're only likely to re-roll a failed wound one to two times a battle. So when you think of it that way, it's not great. Hmm. All right. So that's all the people on foot or rat guys on foot. So we've only got one proper cavalry option for the ratkin, and they are the hackfors. So these are some fairly quick fellas. Speed nine with melee of four, defense of four. Uh, the troop is just your standard unit strength of 1, 8 attacks, 9-11 nerve at 100 points. And the regiment, 3 unit strength, 16 attacks, 12-14 nerve, and 150 points. These are also equipped with nimble, and they get thunderous charge 1, and they're vicious only in melee, which, well, they don't have a ranged attack, so, okay. <laughs> These yes. are very much like the goblin flea bag riders. Yeah, very, very similar in terms of stats. Goblins are slightly faster. And even Thunderous 1 Vicious is similar. The mm. difference between movement 9 and movement 10 is actually very significant, and it does reduce their value versus the gobos a little bit. But they're your only fast, relatively cheap unit. 
I was st- I started out with Ratkin taking two troops quite regularly. Mm-hmm. I never really do that anymore because I never found them to be particularly useful versus other chaff units for a bit less points than they tend to be. Mm. The idea of having like potentially 16 attacks in someone's flank or something sounds nice, but they're so frequently impeded. They're one of those units that if they are affected by terrain on the charge, they go from like somewhat effective to completely useless because they lose Thunderous and they're minus one to hit, which means they hit on fives. So their their combat effectiveness absolutely plummets if they go through terrain. Yeah. Nimble helps with that a bit if you position them smartly. But still with the charging rules, like you can't go out of your way to avoid Mm. uh, terrain when you're charging. So you really have to be perfect lining something up. I think there is a caveat there, though, is that in this list, you have a lot of units generally. And with a lot of units, you can protect that charge. So you can block terrain so that they can't charge through it, or you can uh, chuck a character mm-hmm. out to make sure that they can use that nimble to get around around it. I actually still like the regiments. Mm-hmm. Um, that Once again, I would use it in the second line of attack. And then from there, I would try and get those flanks with the nimble using other units and characters to block uh, impediments. And uh, what I was trying to get at is I actually prefer the regiments. Yeah, the troops are... Yeah. Fine, but where a lot of people would look at these guys and go, Oh, yeah, the troop as a nice little chaff unit, somewhat threatening flank unit potentially, if you know, for its price at least. Mm-hmm. I prefer the regiment. Three unit strength is pretty rad for 150 points at that with that kind of speed. Again, what, what I what you sometimes find is that you're up against flyers because virtually every list has a handful of flyers in them. Yep, how often do you see dragons or or even goblin sniffs as it happens, which are basically the same unit with that one extra movement. They, this unit suffers from that a lot. I don't know how many times someone's like plonked a flyer 19.9 inches away from them and they sort of go, oh shit, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I'm in a bit of a pickle. But they have this long range threat and I really like a regiment with a potion of the caterpillar actually because having a unit that's nimble, yes, it's 170 points and not that hard to kill, but having a unit that's nimble and pathfinder is so rad just being able to hoost 18 inches up the flank into a forest or whatever and then still pivot or you know double pivot out of sticky situations they can just keep threatening and threatening and threatening and if your opponent ignores them 36 attacks that are never impeded by terrain Mm, nasty in a flank uh, that is vicious and thunderous one is something that you just can't ignore and that's why i like the two regiments so even if you're not going to get a flank because they're planning for it at least you can get 32 in the front Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i found playing as goblins that two regiments just like that is enough to deter a good portion of army while everything else does the work and because they're so quick they can dart about uh, or retreat or just redeploy essentially by pivoting 90 and zipping off 18 to 20 yeah except to get two in the front that are both not impeded is a very difficult thing to do if your opponent play is playing well. And if it's a horde or something, those 36 attack on fours is not enough to break the horde. You're only hitting, you know, roughly 18 wounding, like 10, 12, 13, whatever. You're not breaking a horde. So that seems nice in theory, but I find that your opponent's just going to make them impeded. They're not going to give you, you know, two, two regiments able to charge the same target without either being impeded very often. They're kind of like flyers. I find one is easy to deal with, two just throws all sorts of spanners. Yeah, to a degree I'd agree with that, but I probably prefer in my list, and again, this could partially be because I have one regiment of them and don't Mm. particularly want to go ahead and um, 
get hold of another one. But having another fast unit, I definitely agree with that that in concept, but having another fast unit that can sort of match them for speed and be that double threat, but be a different unit and have other purposes is even better. Yep. For me, it's just late game. So particularly with a objective-based game, these guys mm. are just with the nimble. That is the, the key special rule there. That nimble, get them into uh, late game to get an objective is just gold. Mm. And running a regiment for quite a while off and on, I found that it depended on the matchup a bit. And if your opponent was smart, they just don't give them charges where they're not impeded. And as soon as I started taking them and just biting the bullet and taking the potion, I found that no matter how good your opponent is, they just keep offering this really legitimate threat that just has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of because of being able to move through terrain freely and happily without without worrying about pivoting, without worrying about anything. It also means that they're going to be in cover a lot, which really helps when they're only defense three and not that high nerve. So shooting them off is not nearly as easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I really do encourage everyone to try a regiment with a caterpillar potion from time to time. And just you might find that you get more out of them than you think. Mm. All right. So next up, we've got the large infantry. So these are the nightmares. I'm not sure, Benson, if you've got any fluff around them. Uh, possibly. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They've got a model coming out for them, if it's not out already, actually. Well, at the moment, they're just using the, um, is it uh, Dead Zone or Warpath VMN yep. Nightmares? Yeah. Yep. So they look kind of like big chunky buggers with weird hand cannon kind of things, like laser gunny kind of things attached under their arms, and that look a bit like drill bits. Yeah, they're, they're quite a weird-looking unit. That's right. Blight cannons, we're calling them. Interestingly, there's no brutes in this as there were in version 2, yet the, the background points to it. So just reading here, Barzak understood that slaves need to come in many shapes and sizes. After he had perfected the basic template for a ratkin, he focused on developing a larger type that could survive in harsher conditions and, most importantly, be the workhorses of the mines. The result was the Ratkin Brute, which don't exist in the list. Yeah, it's, it's a bit weird that they took them out. I don't, I don't get that. I think they just went, we've got a Warpath unit that's got these weird guns kind of on them, so we want to have the um, Nightmares still, but we don't. I guess they just don't plan to do what is basically a Rat Ogre because I know that I don't like to use the Skaven equivalent names where practical, but mm. I mean, brute, what the hell is a brute, right? Like, so Well, I guess you you got a brute in foresight as a character, but... Yeah, which are now like a large infantry kind of guy, which is, yeah, kind of, kind of weird. Or heavy infantry, I should say. Either way, these nightmares, large infantry, speed six, melee four, range four, uh, defense four. They come in a regiment and a horde, unit strength 2 and 3, uh, attacks uh, 9 and 18, and the nerves are 11, 13, and 14, 16. The points, 140 and 235. Their special rules are brutish, with uh, crushing strength 1, and the horde option naturally gets the rallying one, and they are vicious in melee. Those little drill bits are blight cannons with a 12-inch range with steady aim. So they're kind of like boomers from the ogres. Mm. Uh, yeah, they're not brutal. They're crush one though, and they do have yeah vicious and melee as you said, which is weird for a primarily shooting unit because they do have the blight cannons. Mm-hmm. But the blight cannons don't pierce. No, no they don't pierce. Um, but they got a lot of attacks. I mean, in the horde, eighteen attacks is not bad. But yeah, no pierce. And they're defense five. I'll just correct you there, Salik. They're not defense four, which is pretty. Critical. Oh, did I say defense four? Defense five, yeah. yeah. They're one of your few defense five units, put it that way. <laughs> Just a law update. There's no reference to nightmares. 
It's all about the brutes. <laughs> yeah, it's Ooh. a little weird. I noticed that as well, reading the law. Mm. Don't quite get it. I've tried this unit a bit recently. I took it to a tournament as well in one of our local tournaments that good old Mike Crossman ran. And uh, I, in that particular event, I was experimenting with a bunch of units that I don't often use. Mm-hmm. And I found them to be pretty bad. I think that they're... They're not a useless unit by any means. They do decent shooting. They're not bad in combat, although being slightly worse than a brute for significantly more points is not the best. Vicious in melee is quite helpful when you've got crushed one. They do have the rallying, which non-infantry things don't have very often, which mm. is kind of nice. And defense five is kind of nice, but then for the lower nerve, they cost 15 points more than a horde of shock troops. This is probably their biggest problem. And they have six less nerve which is obviously way less. Yes, they have an extra defense. Not enough to make up for it. They can't take the charge very well, but they do offer that strange 12-inch, which is kind of an 18-inch threat range because you can move six and then fire with steady aim. But what I find in practice using them is that you get to shoot once. Like you move up, you get one shot off. Uh, At that point, you're in charge range of whatever you're shooting, so you better hope it's not too nasty because it could take you off relatively easily. Your nerve's not that great. If If you rally them twice and have and have inspiring on them as well, then they should be able to take the charge against most things. But they're they're trying to do too many things. As often is the case with Kings of War units that are those kind of all-rounders that have have decent stats, you know, some shooting, some combat, bit of this, bit of that. If you sort of spread out a bit too much like that, you end up costing a lot of points. And that's that's fine, but I don't know, just, just take shop troops. <laughs> just take shop troops. They're less and you get more. Yeah. So do you think that the only way to run Nightmares would be in that second line of an attack? So they can sit over the top. Yeah, they're hitting on fours because they'll be uh, their range will have cover. Hitting on fives, sorry. So do you think it's that second line and then after that? No, I really don't. They have a 12-inch range. By the time you're in a second line and you've got a horde in front of you, I mean, this is Ratkin, you don't have a troop in front yeah, of you. Yeah. You've got a horde or a regiment at least uh, of distance in front of you. You've then got an extra couple of inches. No, you can put a regiment of Vermintide. Yeah, you could put a regiment of Vermintide in front of them. Nothing wrong with that, apart from the fact that you're giving everything cover. Mm. You know, or, uh, unless it's a high enough height, I guess, in which case you're not giving it cover. But yeah, yeah, I don't mind that. But uh, for the most part, second line, mm, you, you, you don't get to shoot. Your range is so short. You, you, if, unless you, a unit's charging the front line, then bouncing back, not that it bounces back anymore, but you know what I mean, you're disengaging and then you're shooting, but then you're not countercharging. So, no, you, you can't use a 12-inch range unit as a second line unit unless you've got a very small footprint and can reliably get them yeah, into not effectively the range of things, which is troops. which you can do with, a, um, with the, the little weapon team. They're very nimble and small and they can get in the right place. But I can tell you from experience, it's very difficult to get those nightmares positioned in such a way they can actually shoot something effectively unless they're standing on the front line. Yep. No, that's fair call. It seems like a, an expensive unit as fly deterrent as well. So you just take two weapon teams. Yeah, if weapon teams didn't exist, they might have more of a niche. And the way I took it, and I think this is probably the way to take it still, it's either you either take two hordes, which I didn't do. Um, and again, that's even more eggs in your basket for something mm. that can just get double charged by cavalry and taken off pretty easily. But one horde with two weapon teams that are nearby it at all times, that way you're, you're, you're threatening 20 piercing and 18 not piercing breath weapon-y kind of attacks. Yeah, if something flies near that, it's obviously in a bit of trouble. But 
as great as it sounds in practice with decent terrain on the table and a smart opponent, it's hard to bring all that to bear against one thing. And what you just, what I just consistently found time and time again is I would much rather have two regiments of much cheaper infantry or a, or a horde of shock troops or something and then those two weapon teams still floating around and they, they do enough on their own to deter things still but in a much more effective, nimble manner than these guys do. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So for 235 points, it's a horde of shock troops with the plague pots. Yeah, that's right. So. And these, these guys just end up in combat a lot. That's the reality. You get one shot off, you get a few wounds on something, and you go, cool, all right, I paid a lot of points for that shooting effectively. And then they end up in combat a lot. And they're not rubbish in combat. They're just not as good as virtually any other unit at equivalent points. I think it's... Yeah. They probably can't go two rounds by and No, I, I found that, that I repeatedly was in the position where, like, do I charge something or do I shoot? And usually the answer was charge. Sometimes it would be walk up and shoot in their face. But if you charge... Well, they're you've better got, in combat you've than got vicious, They're slightly better in combat. And maybe the positioning on the table is such that the charge option is the better one. You know, they get out of the way of other things. Whereas if they're standing there with their big footprint shooting something, they're often in the way of other stuff in your army. Yeah, the yeah. vicious in melee does help significantly in melee. Like, that makes them better. But I do agree. Like, two rounds of combat, these guys will be dead. Uh, even with their rallying one, you'll be, what, 15, 17? They'll be off at defense five. Yeah, they're an awkward unit. What if their black cannons were fourteen inch range? I think sixteen. I think that would be better. Yeah, fourteen or sixteen would would definitely help. I think that'd have a subtle but large impact on the table. The other thing is they have crushing one in combat, mm. crushing nothing at range, uh, and vicious in combat. So what you, you find like if you're facing off against another unit of equivalent points, that's actually tough. Shooting it is crap at that point because even without any mm. cover you're like nine hits and then rolling against their defense with no piercing whereas when you charge it you've got crush one and vicious and then at that point and i found this over and over again is i'm in combat and i'm going why don't i just have if these were brutes they'd just be doing more because brutes used to be crushed two and and also regen and i never particularly thought brutes was a great unit either but like if these were brutes they'd cost 30 40 points less and be more effective how much better would they be if they could just take the option of plague pots? Oh, plague pots would be great on them. I'd uh, staple that to Then them. you might actually stand and shoot and then counter charge. <laughs> I mean, then you're a 250 point unit with a lot of the same problems, but moving up, shooting, and against infantry hordes, all of a sudden they're looking way better. Mm. Yeah, because that's what they're meant to kill. They're meant to like tune up low defense units because they're pretty crap against like golems and stuff. I've had them facing off against like stone golems and you're just wishing you had a shock troop or less. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Let's move on. What's next? Next is Vermintide. They're a swarm unit, quite similar to a lot of other swarms that are out there in the game. Speed mm-hmm. 6, melee 5, defense 3. They come in a regiment, horde, or legion, which have 9, 18, and 36 attacks. 9, 11, nerve, 12, 14, or 19, 21. Points are 65, 110, or 195, respectively. They are nimble, which is great. Vicious in melee, which doesn't really matter because their attacks suck anyway. And Wild Charge D3, which is a cool little addition in this edition. Mm. So this is a cheap chaff unit. You take them in a regiment. Legion seems weird. Legion's very weird. I'd love to try one sometime. Uh, I mean, 1921 Nerve sounds fine until you realize they've got this enormous footprint <laughs> and their defense three. So, <laughs> so they're, they're quite easy to take off still at nearly 200 points. Much easier than, say, a shock troop with an extra few Nerve and... Um, an extra defense. I mean, even a horde of warriors is the same as a legion. Slight fewer attacks, but better defense. Yeah, thirty-six attacks is pretty sexy though on a, on a unit that's nimble, 
and wild charge and vicious. They're like almost a cavalry unit at that point. I'd I'd love to try one out. <laughs> they're, they're weird. They're, they're also not. They're also irregular, of course, like all swarms. So or all swarms that I know of, anyway. So taking those larger units of hordes or legions. Not only is your footprint is obscene, 12, <laughs> 12 40, 40 mil bases, are they? Yeah. Yep. So 12, 40 mil bases. Yeah, six across. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's like this, it's bigger than a horde of infantry, yeah, in the footprint. The thing that gets me about the swarms is that the unit strength is still only one for the points you're paying. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think in this sort of list, you need the unit strength for objectives. Very true. And so your legion of so this is a faster flanking unit if you want your like damage unit taking your legion i love the idea of it i think it's a cool little like just horde of chittering rats just like a carpet of rats going at you with charge between 13 and 15 inches and 36 attacks heaven forbid you get flanked you're then looking at 72 attacks (laughs) even on fives to hit like that's going to do some that's going to do some damage and it's so vicious because they're such vicious little assholes but um (laughs) But Selleck's completely right. No unlock and unit strength one at nearly 200 points. So take three legions. Take it in a troll list maybe. And then they just charge in and chitter through things and and then uh, they're just there to sort of do a bit of damage before they die because they're not going to be sitting on objectives and yeah. holding objectives at the end of the game much. Yeah, just you, you end up as fun as the, the idea. I like what they did with the unit to give you those options. But ultimately, you're going to take them in a regiment or not at all. 65 points is... Very cheap for a chaff unit. Yes. They have nine, five to hit vicious attacks. Who really cares? But they, they have just that to get smaller the footprint then at the point when they're troop and they're nimble, which is really useful. But speed six is crap for a chaff unit. It's impossible to, like the reason you pay a little bit extra for units like gargoyles or snow foxes or what have you is because they have movement like nine or ten, they fly, those kinds of things. Having played some chaff that's only speed six, nimble helps a lot here because you can still run up 12 and then pivot. And I think that's, I find that that's enough to get in the way if that's Mm -hmm. their role is just to get in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, The pivot. The pivot after the 12, it's exactly why it's great. That's right. Or occasionally, maybe if you're in an awkward spot, you might pivot, move six, pivot again. Mm. But make sure that your frontage, once you've pivoted, is a, you know, a troublesome prospect for your opponent to charge. But often I find myself where I'm like, if I want a really cheap chaff unit, warriors are just as fast. Yes, they don't have nimble. But for 20 points, I'm getting heaps of extra defense. They're the three extra nerve and defense four instead of three. And they have unit strength two instead of one, which means they can actually hold objectives against single entities and things. Mm. They're, they're just a much more reliable unit for, for 20 points. So it's often hard to, to make that exchange. What if you give a legion brew of haste? Because then what you do is you run up your 12 and then you, because charging now is from closest point to closest point, you can pivot your 90 and get an extra... I don't know, four or five inches or whatever it is for your next turn to charge just about anything. Yeah, obscenely long <laughs> charge range. So, so that's a legion, did you say? Yeah. <laughs> good luck ever not being impeded though, right? Like good luck ever not going through terrain. <laughs> and then your 36 attacks are hitting on sixes, so forget about it. It's also the same price as a shock troop horde. <laughs> it's just so bad. <laughs> There's no way to look at that unit and be like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, but except for for the for the memes. You're I, I want to take one. All right, next next tournament, I'll take one for the memes. The Verbentide. Move right. it seven legion. That'd be all right. I think <laughs> if they were say five points more in all their permutations, and they had Pathfinder, they'd be a noticeably better chaff unit and mm. a noticeably better legion unit. And and as a horde of rats, they should have Pathfinder. 
Like they're rats. What are they going to do? Like trip over them. the swamp or something and not be able to go through it? No, they're, they're freaking rats, man. They're a horde. I feel like you can still, still slow them down, but I don't think they're going to trip and stumble over each other and go, oh no, I can't hit No, they're well. not going to like fall out of formation and be like, oh dear, we'd better redress our ranks in this forest or something. They're freaking horde of rats, bro. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so All that right. would have made them really interesting to me, but without that, it's like, oh yeah, I'll take a trip every now and again or I won't, whatever. Like you're not OP enough as it is, so I don't need that. All right, so chariots... <laughs> We have one option for chariots, and they are the Tunnel Runners. So these are a speed 8 chariot, melee 4, defense 5. They come in your troops and regiments only, and they have unit strength 1 and 2. But they've got a good amount of attack, so the troop has 16, with 12, 14 nerve at 170 points, and the regiment is 24 attacks, 14, 16 nerve at 210. They get just crushing and thunderous, that's it. Yeah. Crushing and Thunderous. So either Pathfinder or plus one to hit to make sure that those 24 attacks are chomping. Yeah, I like these guys with Jesse's boots. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. I like them with the, the boots or the or the um, Caterpillar Potion or what I am very frequently taking them with now is a regiment with the Brew of Sharpness because mm-hmm. the Brew of Sharpness is only 35, not 45 because they're, they're not a horde. They used to be large infantry, sorry, large cavalry, which had the same footprint and extra unit strength and stuff. But suffice to say that they're a very similar unit. And high attacks, it works well. It makes sense because the miniatures themselves, there are a ton of runner miniatures. And again, they're from that vermin range. They look like, you know, a little chariot, kind of like a little mini doom wheel kind of thing. Mm. So having three on a base makes sense as a regiment of chariots. And they, yeah, crush one, thunderous one is fine. But it's 24 attacks. Once you give them the, the plus one to hit... Threes to hit 24 attacks, if, especially if they get their Thunderous. Like, they still do okay when they're charging to impeded terrain. Mm-hmm. But 16-inch range, 24 attacks, if you just call it Crush 2 for simplicity and threes to hit, that's as good as any cavalry unit in the game, really. Mm. Mm. That is very, very good and deceptively good. People are surprised by these guys often. I find if they charge something in the open, in the front it usually dies. Like, unless it's a horde of infantry with really high nerve, it could well be dead. Yeah, I like these guys. Yeah, it's, it gives you a reach out and touch option. Uh, I think it's a, I, w- I don't want to say an essential unit to the Ratkin, but it's approaching that just because, as I was talking about before, if you're taking your horde of, you know, move up the board and then try to counterpunch kind of army, which for the most part Ratkin is, you still really need something that can threaten at range, reach out and touch. Yep. Either with a lot of shooting is one way of doing it, which I don't prefer, or with a flyer and a couple of cavalry or something. I think um, having a regiment of these and a regiment of hackpaws so that you've got a couple of things that can you know, actually project a decent threat range and be nasty on the charge mm. uh, is critical if you want to control the board. So having both of them is probably the only way I would ever conceive of not having a demon <laughs> is if I've got <laughs> at least two of those things because otherwise you just don't have enough to dictate the opponent's movement and actually make them make hard choices. Yeah. What do you think about giving, if you take two of these, the second one, the Wine of Elven kind to give them nimble? Yeah, I like that as well. It's cute. It's fine. I don't know. Wine of Elven kind, it's one of those things where it's the same as every army. It's really nice to have Nimble. It costs quite a lot of points and often one extra movement or Potion of the Caterpillar or something like that is going to be as good or better in a lot of scenarios for less points. But 
I don't know. Nimble's very good. It just allows you so, to pull off those dodgy maneuvers to charge things that your opponent thinks are safe. That's true, but they cost a lot of points then. You're looking at 250 points for, a yes, a very hitty unit. But if they are impeded because your opponent's positioned correctly, I always kind of prefer to think of when you're talking about these heavy impact, lots of points, hammer kind of units, I think how well do they fight when they go through a forest or something or over a fence or what have you. Because my opponents, if they're not good, then I'm going to run them over anyway. And it doesn't really matter how good the unit is. If they are good, they're going to position in such a way that I very frequently am impeded. And at that point, Wine of Elvenkind is, you've got a 250 point unit that hits on fives and only has crush one. And that's not good. That's my view anyway. Mm. Take that with a grain of salt, depending on your meta, depending on uh, how much terrain you use, all that kind of stuff. Oh, going back one step. Vermintide are also expendable. Yes. Good point. Yes, so you can hit them with your... Uh... So instead of taking like the wretches, you just take one regiment of Vermintide and that'll be your battery. Who cares yeah. if they become devastated? <laughs> if your opponent's got any shooting units that can actually see them, which is actually potentially hard because they're only height one. So you put them behind your regiments and stuff. They need to have something on a hill or something quite tall to shoot them. And then they're shooting a Vermintide. <laughs> yeah. And then they're shooting a Vermintide, sure. So yeah, you, you heal battery... A regiment of them is potentially a better option than your horde of wretches. Hmm. Good point. 50 points cheaper too. All right. We'll be back right after a quick break. Some 13 years since Bazak had sealed himself away, the heavy doors opened once more and Bazak reappeared triumphant. As he emerged from his self-imposed exile, Behind him streamed a vast pack of rats, but not rats as they had been. These were something new, something terrible. A horrifying hybrid of rats and other races, dwarf, human, elf and goblin. In their eyes there was a smoldering malignancy and their rapid jerky movements were spine-chilling and beyond natural. Bazak had bred a new race of slaves, a race he named Noah. Ones that could do more. Work harder, work longer, and with the trait of the race he most desired, breed more slaves in vast quantities. And we're back. Alright, so we're going to be starting off with the war engine. So it's one of two, and the first one is the weapon team. So movement six, no melee, range four, defense five. Uh, unit strength one, uh, zero, sorry, uh, with 10 attacks and 8, 10 nerve at 85 points. Uh, it does have nimble and it's got the blight spew, another 12 inch range piercing one steady aim weapon. But for 80 points, what do we think? 85, 85 points. Well, seeing you use them, you like just one is great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really like two relatively nearby one another or on either side of a regiment or what have you, so they can concentrate fire on things. Because once you've got 20 piercing shots hitting on fours into something, you can actually get some really heavy, reliable damage on it. But yeah, in low points, uh, even one is fine just to sort of spray and pray, get a few extra damage on things and um, make your charges that little bit more effective and that kind of stuff. It also gives you some protection against flyers because they are, as Selick said, nimble and steady aim, so they can rotate and shoot something in the face that lands behind you and that kind of thing, which is very useful. Certainly you don't want to be turning around and facing the rear of your nightmares towards Mm. your opponent's army when they land behind you with a dragon, but you don't really care (laughs) too much with the war machine. At risk of 
banging on about previous edition too much, which I'm trying to avoid, but they do uh, just come with piercing now. People may not realize that. They used to have that as an option, which I would usually not take to try to keep them really cheap. They now just come with it all the time and obviously cost more accordingly with that. The weird thing about them, which catches a lot of people off guard, is their defense five. Mm. I see no reason that they're defense five. <laughs> like they're, they're like two rats holding a big old Gatling gun or a flamethrower or whatever. There's no apparent reason I can see why they wouldn't be defense four or even three. (laughs) And you'll take it. (laughs) Oddly enough, they're defense five, which can, yeah, similar to the claw shots who have a better reason for being defense five because they've got a big old shield. All it means with with nerve 810 is that every now and again, a spray in their general direction will not kill them where it otherwise Mm. would. And getting charged, they frequently get charged by individual characters or characters on flying mounts and things like that. And if they're a cheaper one that only has one of those versions that has sort of... Three attacks. Yeah, four or four or five attacks or something. They miss with a couple of attacks and then you've got that defense five. Quite frequently, they survive that charge. Hmm. I mean, you've got to remember, it is a war engine. So if it, even if a character's attacking it, they get triple attacks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so being a war engine now means that, yeah, you'd think they would always die from it. But that defense five just means... They, when I say quite frequently, that's probably selling it a bit too much. Uh, <laughs> Surprisingly, <they> occasionally often. <laughs> charge. Yeah, <laughs> surprisingly often they just you know your opponent just whiffs the wound roll, <laughs> and then you you know you've rallied them once or twice, so they've actually got a somewhat solid nerve, and maybe you've got uh, you're inspiring nearby, which will make them hold yeah just a little bit more often than they should. But twelve inch piercing shots sign me up. Yeah, they're great. Great unit. I sort of see these as a, a two or none. I'd love the 20 attacks if there's two units, mm-hmm. uh, combine them. But when I see it just as one at the height two, that's when I, and once again, that sort of limited range of 12 inches, I, mm-hmm. I see it dropping away in value for me. Um, I think one but, at low points is fine. Yeah. Oh, definitely. When you've got a lot of units that have very low nerve yeah. or units that are like a lot of regiments on the board that take a bit of damage from a charge and you can finish them off and things like that. I think one's fine at low points, but other than that, I agree with you. I think it's kind of a, a two or none thing. It's a certain amount of like critical mass of fire that you can send in something's direction. And the other thing that's really good about them, unlike other war machines, is because you've got movement six and nimble, for 85 points, which by the way is only 20 more than a regiment of Vermintide, what I find sometimes is I go up and I shoot with them a couple of times and then I just whack one, like if, if it's critical to do so, if it's going to protect a horde of shock troops or a valuable unit, I'll just whack one right in front of a unit. They move six mm. or they can, mm. move, they can move up and rotate. Uh, I believe as a war engine, they still can't move at the double. Is that correct? No. That's correct. Yeah, yeah good, because I haven't been doing that. That would be true. <laughs> Otherwise, that would be sweet being able to move up 12 and rotate. But because they hover around that core a lot of the time, that's the way to play them, I believe, anyway, is hover, you, hover them around your um, more critical units. And your opponent shouldn't really be able to charge them outside of little individual characters and stuff all that often unless you position them really badly. Unless, of course, you want them to. And they they double as a nice little chaff unit too. Okay. And the next one here? A shredder is a bog standard kind of catapult kind of thing. Uh, Speed five rather than six for some reason. Uh, Range five plus, defense five plus again. Three attacks, nerve eight, ten and 90 points. So it's a 48-inch blast D3, ignore cover, piercing one, reload and shattering. Shattering's nice. Shattering is nice. Yeah, not much to say about this versus... I mean, I guess this is the first review we've done again for 3rd edition and 
a lot of different armies, nearly all of them, in fact, have a war machine, a war engine that's somewhat equivalent to this, be it a bolt thrower mm. or, a, or a catapult or something. They all have very small variations between them. But your Blast D3 piercing 2 is probably what I'd call the, the average standard. Mm. This one's got one less piercing. Ignores cover's common for this kind of unit. So they've got a very long range. It kind of needs ignore cover because it sits behind everything else and has only a range of 5+. plus. So if, if, if something does have cover and it actually was effective, it would obviously halve its chances of hit and make it quite useless. Still garbage against Night Stalkers because when everything has stealthy and you actually minus one to hit, it's pretty rubbish. But yeah, fives to hit, you'll hit. You've got three attacks, so on average you hit one a time, but it, every now and again you'll spike and hit three times. Every now and again you hit none. Hmm. But it is actually a reasonably reliable unit. What you end up comparing it against is the claw shots, which have a ver- which are only five points more. Have five piercing two attacks instead of the three blast D three piercing one attacks. It's just slightly longer range. Mm. And, and what it ends up being is the claw shots are more more reliably they'll get one or two damage. Oh yeah, you're right. It's an extra twelve inch range, but thirty six is usually enough. So forty eight doesn't yeah. matter that much. The claw shots more reliably get one or two damage on, um, and don't just whiff completely like the shredder does as frequently. But then the shredder has a higher ceiling. So every now and again, you'll hit and do like eight or nine wounds, which obviously you can't do with five shots that the claw yeah. shots have. And more importantly is the unit strength on the claw shots. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily more importantly. That's the that's the comparison as a shooting unit. They have the same nerve, the same defense. So defensively, they're the same. But yeah, the claw shots, uh, for me, they're like just a tiny nose in front of the shredder purely because, as you say, Benson, one unit strength... You can chuck them on a um, baseline objective. Corner on the back line. Yeah, whatever else. And they just have that unit strength presence. If I was going to take two, though, I'd probably just take one of each. I just think it's a bit boring to take double claw shots or double shredder. And honestly, they have such a similar role that if I was going to take two of those units, I'd just take one of each. Yeah, two is effective, though. Like, you can't, from a more Three would be as well. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's take three. So we're talking three claw shots, three shredders, three weapon teams? <laughs> well, no. one other thing that I um, well, we didn't compare in that particular comparison is that the claw shots are not an unlock. They don't require an unlock. Yeah. Um, outside True. of the fact that they're a troop. Troops, yeah, you know what I mean. The, the War Machine unlock is, is of higher value than the, uh, than the troop unlock. Generally in Ratkin, you take quite a hoardy army. Unless you're taking heaps of hordes of wretches for whatever reason, which don't unlock, um, you shouldn't be hurting for unlocks too much. But nevertheless, mm. it is yeah a consideration. Yeah, the thing that annoys me about the shredder is that it's only piercing one. Doesn't quite shred, does it? It's more like a cutter. No, it's 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 a cutter, not a shredder. But if you even have a look, I think it's the sharp stick thrower. Um, that's piercing two, and then they've got their rock, like big rock thrower, bolt thrower, whatever it is. Uh, that's piercing three. Mm. So this one here being piercing one, it just doesn't cut the mustard for me. The shattering is really nice, but you're right with piercing one and three shots fives to hit blast d3 there's a reasonable chance that you'll either miss completely of course or you get one hit two dice to damage and then you just don't damage the thing so even yeah. though it's got shattering there's a pretty high likelihood that you'll end up doing stone zero which is why claw shots the other reason that claw shots for me just are a nose in front of the shredder particularly if you're taking multiples because if you want to take heaps as benson was suggesting then you need a lot of unlocks uh, to get a bunch of shredders whereas you don't really with claw shots yeah, so I think from mine, uh, the only way that shattering works for with inside the shredder is if you've got a shitload of or a lot of claw shots. 
um, to actually do some damage, then you get the shatter, and then the test at the end of the phase. I think that's the only way I could see it work. Yeah, your other decent long-range tool, yeah. or semi-long-range anyway, is lightning bolt. You need to complement it. Some combination, I, I would totally agree with that, some combination thereof, if you're trying to project a decent long-range threat, which Bratkin aren't the best at that, but you know they have the option. Mm. A heap of lightning, a few claw shots, a few shredders, sort of, you know, to taste is fine. Yeah. Yeah, bringing us to monsters, I suppose. Let's continue on with shooting. So we'll do the Death Engine Spewer. Basically, Death Engine is two variants. This is the shooty version. It is a monster on a chariot base. Speed 6, melee 4, range 4, defense 4. Unit strength 1, like most monsters. D6 plus 7 attacks. Fearless 16 at 200 points. It's got crushing 1, and its ranged weapon is a battle cannon, which is ranged 18 at piercing 2. It's a rattle cannon, I believe. Yeah, it's a rattle cannon. Thanks, Matt. Ah. This is the first time I've noticed that it's like rat like rat rather than just rat or cannon. Well, there you go. 18 inches, D6 plus 7 shots at piercing 2. Pretty dece. Range 4 plus. It's not bad. And it can fight in combat because it's still crushing one that's still hitting on 4s, but it doesn't have steady aim. So if you move, you're hitting on 5s. Yeah, I find you're hitting on 5s a, a very large percentage of the time. Quite often you need to shoot over a unit and or shooting something in cover, of course, or you have to move in order to get into range. It's a pretty ideal circumstance to be hitting on force. Even if you start the turn in range and in mm -hmm. open sight of something within 18, therefore be hitting on force. Mm -hmm. Quite frequently you find you want to move it anyway because you want to like keep it in a threatening position either defensively or to offer like to threaten flanks or whatever. So you've, you're, you're on fives a lot with this unit and even occasionally on sixes. So you need to factor that in. I think that's honestly the main reason that it hits on four plus rather than fives, which a lot of other sort of equivalent-ish, yeah. well, if there even is a unit in the game that's equivalent to this one, it's quite a weird one, but yeah. Death engine spewer, too expensive for me. 200 points, as you've already mentioned, it's going to be hitting on fives 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. It's just doesn't quite cut it for me so it's going to have what eight to 13 attacks hitting on fours five sixes dash 16 just isn't high enough either to sort of say that it's going to be sticking around for a long time for 200 points yeah defense four really hurts it in this list it just doesn't have the value for the points a 200 point model that is uh, only defense four is yeah definitely you're, you're paying a reasonable cost there yeah so, in comparison, we've got the Death Engine Impaler, which is also on a chariot base. Speed 8, melee 4, no range, defense 5, unit strength 1. It's also got the D6 plus 7 attacks. Uh, also got the dash 16 nerve, but for uh, only 180 points, still high 5. It's got CS or crushing strength 2 with vicious in melee. This one here is a little bit better for me. Yeah, it's funny how it's changed. Uh, these used, used to be quite sort of the other way around, but I, I agree with you, actually, Salak. It's like a slightly faster giant. Most people are like, they see the spewer and they're just used to it. Oh, sorry, they see that most people are using Doom Wheels to represent the unit until Mantic come out with a, with a different unit. I'd love to see them come out with a miniature where the spewer looks significantly different to the Impaler because otherwise... Mm. Obviously, the model looks the same. Mm. People are used to it being the spewer because, or those who are veterans of Kings of War, because back in the day when it used to be Defense 5 and stuff, it used to be just sort of the auto choice out of the two. Um, there wasn't much of a reason to go for the Impaler. But now with Extra Crush 1 and Vicious in melee, that actually makes it far, far better in combat. I can tell you that much for free because with a random number of attacks and only four up to hit, you really need 
nearly every hit to wound for it to be impactful. Because sometimes you go in, you get like, you know, let's say 10 attacks, which is a decent roll. That's a roll of a three, three mm. plus seven. 10 attacks, you hit five times. With crush one, you're doing like one or two. It depends where you're attacking. If you're attacking something decent, maybe doing two or three wounds, whatever. When you've got crush two and vicious, nearly every hit wounds. So because yeah. of that, you're much more impactful on the charge. Well but the biggest reason that the death engine impaler is a noticeably more useful unit than the spewer is speed eight mm-hmm. instead of speed six and defense five instead of four. It means it can be a mobile anvil because nerve 16, if you boost that up with a couple of rallying and you're sitting at nerve 18, if you let's say you've got a demon behind it or next to it or something, which is not too infrequent, you've got this rallying two, you've got inspired, your defense five and your dash 18, nothing goes through that in the charge 1v1. That is super tough. Yeah. While as your spewer, which is sitting further back quite often, trying to shoot and trade that way, only defense four, a lot of things will charge into it and all too often take it off in one round. And then you've got a 200-point shooting unit, which has done a few wounds and then just got killed. And this list needs a can opener, and I think that's what this is. Exactly. This is a mobile can opener, which this list, outside of the demon, just simply doesn't have. Tunnel runners sort of do it. Hackpaws do it less. Hackpaws aren't really a can opener at all, but they're at least mobile. (laughs) But yeah, the the Impaler is there for you on a relatively small footprint. It can keep up with tunnel runners. It can keep up with hackpaws to a degree. And then if you want a scary fast flank or a, you know, reach out and threaten nasty kind of unit, Impaler goes really well when paired with one of those other three mobile threats to do some work. Mm. By itself, eh, it's fine. But uh, really becomes scary when you line it up next to a unit of tunnel runners or nearby a bunch of hackboards or next to a demon. All of a sudden, mm. combo charge threat is real. Yeah, and the Hype 5 really complements it well with this list as well. So it can see over the top, charge around when required. So as long as you've set up all the angles quite nicely, you should be able to do it. Yeah, if it was nimble, I'd have a real boner for it, but uh, <laughs> sadly it's not. Just fair enough. Nimble would be... I think that might be too good. Yeah, you can see why it wouldn't be nimble as well. Yeah. It's sort of like it's a big thing in the in the form of a doom wheel. At least it's sort of you know you can imagine it ratcheting up a heap of speed as the rats buzz around, all the lightning goes off and shit. But it would be hard to maneuver outside of a doom wheel, like the old school G Dub doom wheel. Any other models that you can sort of think about that could represent this? Well, you got the the old G Dub Screaming Bell. Okay, yeah, yeah. and Plague Furnace. Yeah. I think you want something that looks fairly fast. If if you obviously Ratkin in general, if you're not going with the relatively small amount that Mantic sell or Games Workshop, what are you going with? Hmm. There's not yes. heaps of other stuff out there. Not much available. You could do like something, some sort of like goblin pump wagony kind of looking thing, and then just like whack some rats on it, or um, some other sort of you know contraptiony looking thing with lots of spikes and everything on it that can impale stuff. The the weird thing about it in terms of fluffiness is that it looks as though it should, and a lot of people get caught out by this, it looks as though it should be like an impactful cavalry kind of unit in the sense mm. that it has like thunderous charge, but it's not. It's just straight crush two. You'd mm. think it'd be like crush one, thunderous two or something, which is what it used to be, but now it's just straight crush two, so it doesn't rely on the impetus of the charge necessarily, so it can trade quite well in a back and forth situation. Yeah. All right, brings us to the Titans then. Let me go ahead and talk about the Mutant Rat Fiend. Awesome changes to this unit. Very cool unit these days. It has speed seven. This is the, like a, just like before I said, the Shredder. With the, when talking about the Shredder, a lot of armies have their uh, 
war machine catapult kind of equivalent. This is the Ratkin version of the giant style thing. Mm-hmm. So mutant rat fiend is your giant. They've got speed seven, melee three, which is pretty awesome and a bit questionable fluffy, what fluff-wise, but whatever. Melee three, <laughs> defense four, which of course sucks for a giant, but 10 attacks, nerve dash 18. I say it's like a giant in that, you know, your big monster. But it's on a Titan base. <laughs> the, the, yeah, that's, it's, it's on a Titan base and it's walking on the ground at speed seven. But uh, it's quite different to a giant really inactively because it's surprisingly reliable. 220 points. Crush two, not three. Radiance life, vermin only, which is really weird. I'll get to that in a sec. Rallying ones, which is awesome. That's one of the best things about it, believe it or not, because you can pong it in between your hordes and really reliably get that rallying two on things. Regen five plus. Strider and Vicious in melee. So interesting right. unit. Mm. It doesn't hit quite as hard as some large things in that it's only crushed two. But forget about that because it hits, it's, it's got Strider, it hits on threes, and it's got Vicious. So those 10 attacks are really reliable attacks. It's got like a support role as well. And it's pseudo support role. But don't be fooled. Radiance of Life might as well just say one wound back to this unit every turn. Because it's vermin only, which and you find you'd, you'd think that'd be <laughs> heaps of, you'd think heaps of ratkin would have the vermin keyword, but you'd be wrong. It's really just the vermintide swarm that which is it. why you're taking a legion of them. <laughs> sure, so their defense three can get one wound back every turn. Big freaking whoop! Yeah, as long as it's near this thing. Yeah, so. A bit of an odd choice, I think, to do it that way. I think it would have been really interesting if it just straight ha- straight up had Radiance of Life or maybe Radiance of Life Expendable or some other keyword. Mob, maybe, is a keyword um, that a lot of the infantry have. Mm. Uh, beast, even. I don't know. Whatever. Any, any keyword other than vermin in the sense that who gives a crap about giving one wound back to your Jupiter? I think rats? the point is because little rats come out of it and little rats... Yeah, I kind of understand it, Fluff Wife, but that wasn't the way to execute it for me because it... it effectively does absolutely nothing all it really is is it's just an extra regen but it does make it really defensively reliable because dash 18 defense four so it's big weakness is that defense four mm-hmm. for 220 points but uh you go into it don't take it off first time then you got regen five plus on all the wounds that it's taken and the auto wound back as well yeah which so radiance of life i believe happens after moving mm-hmm. the unit and regen happens when you move the unit. Yes. So my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong here, I've only used this guy uh, in a couple of tournaments, but I could have been doing it wrong. <laughs> I think you do regen before Radiance of Life. Yeah, so when you give them an order is when you should be doing rolling for the regen. Yeah, cool. So I've been doing it right. Because that's obviously the better of the two ways to do it because mm. you get an extra die to roll for regen and then you get that wound back. So sometimes I've had it like on like take like five wounds from shooting or something and then it just like regens three's three back and, and then gets an auto one back and you go, yeah, sucked in. That's awesome. <laughs> you know? he's, so he's a, he's a tough dude. He slops along with all your infantry at a similar pace but even threatens a little bit further. Just a bit. So standing right in between two hordes of shock troops is where this guy loves to be. He goes, I've got an extra, an extra bit of inch of threat because I've got speed seven. I can charge through terrain, no dramas because of Strider. And I offer that lovely little rallying bonus um, mm. and just be tough as two short planks. Like he's a he's a great unit, I reckon. Really like him. Mm. Yeah, I like him as well. Would you take two? Two seems a bit like too much. I don't think so with the other options in the army. You just like, why take two mutant rat fiends when you could have one of them and then one in Paler or one in a demon or something like that? If you want a couple yeah. of big monsters. Although, to be honest, I feel like that with virtually every army. Like why take 
three of the same <laughs> monster when you can have three slightly different monsters and have a more interesting army, but that's me. All right, you're going to love my list later on. Okay, so let's get into the heroes here. <laughs> so first up, we have the Brood Mother, which I think is quite interesting once we get through it. So the mum is a large infantry hero, spellcaster one, so can be hexed, height three, speed six, melee four, no range, defense five, unit strength one with five attacks, 1214 nerve at 120 points. She is crushing one, inspiring, nimble, has radiance of life with no stipulations there, so radiance of life on everyone. And she has this weird rule, eat the weak. So she's got drain life five as a spell, the only spell that she can take, but when she targets friendly core units with expendables, so your wretches or your, I think, warriors as well. Yeah, wretch, warriors, or the vermintide. The drain life is doubled, so it goes to drain life 10, and then you carry out spells damage as normal, and if you use it on your expendable units, they don't take a nerve test. So this is what we were talking about when we were saying the uh, drain life battery, because you're just draining life your own expendable troops, and who cares how much damage they have as long as they're not attacked from something else, then they could have a million yeah. damage at the end. So drain life high, five goes to ten, and yep. as Benson was saying, if you had two brood mothers, then it's a little bit like heal twenty. Uh, it's still a lot worse than heal twenty because you still ro- you roll twenty dice, but then you've got to roll a wound. If you're winning on twos, obviously you get most of those, uh, mm. but you are damaging your own unit, and if that unit disappears, then that option's off the table. Mm. Then you just go back to good old drain life five. <laughs> good old drain life five. Yeah. Uh, you can give her a normal ranged attack in the form of a blight staff, which is 18 inches. She gives her range 4 with piercing 1 and steady aim, as well as vicious on those ranged attacks, and that's an extra 20 points. Or, mm-hmm. if you don't like drain life, you can just swap it for free, but that seems a bit weird. You're just negating that eat the weak yeah. rule altogether. I think if you're trying for that sort of other version of the army list, which is kind of like a close-range firepower kind of list, which I actually have tried a little bit in this recent experimental tournament where you've got, you know, a horde or two of nightmares, a bunch of weapon teams, and maybe a few of these guys and and some other options in the list where you've got a lot of 12 to 18-inch range, even, dare I say it, scurriers, a whole bunch of, you know, like quite deadly firepower that's quite short-ranged. Maybe you're going for that kind of option, but... Yeah, I don't really get it either. If, you, if you're not taking her to drain the life and being mm. a brood mama, then what it, why bother? Because mm. 120 points just for five range four attacks. Why don't you just take a warlock, which has lightning five for 90 points? Yeah, probably the biggest reason for that is inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yes, they've got five crushing one attacks, which is like okay as well and nimble. So if you can get her into flanks, which you might occasionally be able to do. Late game. Uh, ten attacks on fours at crush one is okay. It's nothing to write home about, but she can contribute to combat a little bit. Probably mm. most of the time you want to stand just out of combat and drain life things, obviously, and be an inspiring thing. Yeah. But um, it's tempting to do a list much like Benson was describing before, where you're smashing your Vermintide or your Wretches or whatever and healing things and being like a really tough center. But the problem with that is it's very vulnerable to shooting. Yeah. That can already struggle a little bit against really heavy shooting lists. And Broodmothers, they're unlike a lot of other large infantry characters, 
which are which is nice to be not an individual for the most part. You know, you've got a unit strength you can claim, which is not nothing. As we've all seen bloody ogre characters jumping on objectives in the last point <laughs> of the game. It's very irritating. You know, you get your doubles for flanking, all that kind of thing. But you can also be seen over all your rat, rat infantry hordes. You can be shot off. Mm. They do have defense five, which isn't bad, but they are more vulnerable than a warlock with an inspiring talisman might be standing behind your unit. And not as easily, not as easy to draw a line of sight to much more nimble as far as getting away from things that come around the side of your army and threaten you and those kinds of stuff. So, mm. what do we think about the option for the blight stuff? Mm. I like the drain life. Yeah, I wouldn't bother with the blight stuff, and I wouldn't uh, add it on top of because it's either one or the other. I probably would add it on top of, and I might, I might get one ranged attack like that because otherwise they'll be in combat and I'll be trying to heal them up. Yeah, you can't cast it into combat, unlike the Drain Life. It's not bad at putting a wound or two on a chaff unit. So I sort of see it a little bit differently, in that if I'm trying to get an inspiring source, so we'll say uh, a Swarm Crier and a Warlock, this is actually cheaper to do so. So it's 140 points at that point, or free if you replace the Drain Life, and you get effectively five shots at the range four with Piercing Ones with a Vicious for that point cost. And I get inspiring as well. Yeah, I've got to suffer the the increased height and potentially get shot. You're much more vulnerable. Or you could just give the inspiring talisman on a wall. And having two different units is better than one for a number of reasons. And inspiring talisman exists. Yeah. Ah, no, I could be wrong. <laughs> get back to your hole. <laughs> well, I guess you might as well talk about the warlock then, Salek, since that's the. Uh... All right, then. The warlock, uh, probably the better choice, apparently. <laughs> uh, speed, speed six, uh, melee five, no range, defense four plus. Uh, it's got no unit strength, but it is a spellcaster too, so it can be hexed. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's got one attack, it's a 9 11 at 90 points uh, with its height two. It does have lightning bolt five as out of the box That's so um, and a myriad of different options so it can be mounted on a flea bag to get to speed 9 for 25 points it's got Bane Chant 3 for 30 points Heal 4 for 30 points Hex 2 for 10 points and Veil of Shadows 2 for 25 points uh, 30 points sorry. that's special you can only have one Warlock with Veil of Shadows you can only have one is that what that yes. extra one was? There we go. <laughs> and Bane Chant 3. Great. If you want to pay 25 points for a spell that's almost as useful as Hex, sure. Bane Chant? No, Veil of Shadows. Oh, right. I was going to say. Veil of Shadows is a stealthy, yeah. isn't it? Just uh, cross out Hex and Veil of Shadows. Believe me, I've experimented them with a bit. They're complete potatoes. You could build a really funny meme list, with it, which is centered around Veil of Shadows if you wanted to. Just play Night Stalkers. It's better. Mm. Hold up, hold up. So you're saying that Hex and Veil of Shadows, rubbish? Completely, like, worse than taking a bloody... Just give him, like, the Sword of Striking or something, Ooh. for God's sake. Just take anything Unless else. you know you're playing against your mate and he's taking a gun line. Yeah. And you've take... only got rats. No, you'll just shoot <laughs> the stuff that your Veil of Shadows isn't targeting, or you'll just fail to cast it on two dice or whatever. Or he'll just ignore the stealthy and kill the things. Or kill... It's So much can go wrong. Like, just forget about it. Cast your Lightning, it's better. Costs nothing. Yeah. Costs no extra points to get about. Does it. damage. Bane Chant Three, on the other hand, is of course awesome. Bane Chant Three is fantastic. It's significantly more reliable than Bane Chant Two, and as long as you're not using it on poor old Sticky, may he ever be remembered, my old Blight Lord from the previous edition. Rip. You know, Veil of Shadows is an is an aura, Hugh. Yeah. Okay. Because you'll cast it on himself and then spit out a whole bunch of stealthy. So if you yeah. are going up against your gun line mate and you've got and you've got rats, Veil of Shadows is alright. Yeah, you'll give a bubble of stealthy to a, to a section of your army. That's correct. 
and then it'll just shoot other bits. Unless you give them that item that increases the aura range. That's almost like two-thirds of your army then. You reckon? You're fitting two-thirds of a Ratkin army inside that aura? 18-inch diameter? Eh, nah. maybe half of it maybe most of your important stuff i'll give you that but it's a gimmick it's very gimmicky it's a lot of points it's crap forget about it hex is even worse hill four 30 points feels like a lot to pay for hill four especially without a lot of other healing in the army i feel like if you want to heal take the broodmother yeah because that's what she does like that's her shtick so take the Broodmother. Don't know really why you take heal on the Warlock. Remember, you're paying 90 points for a unit with Lightning 5. So taking them 120 points to heal something on average 2 points in an army that's mainly Defense 4. Unsure why the options... Like, I love having the options, but the option needs to be cheaper for it to be worth considering. But Banechant 3 is fantastic. I nearly always take that. It's There's so many things in the army with Crushing 1 that would that get so much better with crushing two. And even your average idiots with spears and stuff that are crushing nothing suddenly mm. become something resembling a threat if they have crushing one, uh, which is not too bad. And three means it'll be very likely for it to succeed. Mm. That's right. It should it should reliably work a lot of the time. Of course, one in eight times you'll still fail, but uh, what are you going to do? Then you throw the conjuring staff on him for 10 points and you're re-rolling one of those dice. Yeah, and then, then you're up to one <laughs> in 16 times. So only every like third game where you actually fail to bank if you cast it every single turn so like that just becomes obscenely reliable at that what 130 point price marks really not bad yeah. plus you got a lightning to throw around if you want so the warlock's great mm-hmm. i'd take bane chant nearly always unless you're really really skipping on points uh, in which case why are you taking a 90 point lightning bolt warlock when you could take a 95 point claw shot or a 90 point shredder or whatever like don't get me wrong, it's still useful, that 90-point Warlock, but he costs an unlock. Mm. For me, Banechant Inspiring Talisman tends to be the way I take him as default. 140 points, which is on the upper end of costly for a spellcaster, but he's speed 6, he's got very reliable spells. Very few other spellcasters can say, yeah, Lightning 5 and Banechant 3 and mm. Inspiring on a reasonably nimble little body. He's a great little spellcaster. It, it, it's a bit weird that he's so good, actually. I feel like he should be crapper. Because he's like better than an elf in lots of ways in terms of just his quality of spells. A lot of other spellcasters only have like Lightning 3 or Banechant 2 or whatever. That's usually the go. I'm yep. not really sure fluff-wise why the Warlock is as good and reliable a spellcaster <laughs> as he is. But OP Rex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you should have to pay for Hex and Veil of Shadows. Yeah, you should be like, you should be like swap Lightning Bolt for both Hex and Veil of Shadows and then we <laughs> might be talking about something that I might take every now and again. What do we think about the boomstick on him? So get an extra three lightning bolt. So it'd be lightning bolt eight for 30 Yeah, if you want him to be a zappy boy, sure. I think if I was taking a second warlock, that's often the way I'd do it. I think the inspiring talisman just has so much value. If you had loads of inspiring already because of somehow your army structures worked out that way, sure. But you tend to be a fairly spread out, hoardy kind of army. Inspiring is so critical on your fairly low defense, fairly nerve, low nerve kind of units. Mm-hmm. That 20 points just is solid gold. And it, often I find if you're taking an uninspiring hero in Ratkin, you kind of need to justify it. Why am I not mm. taking an inspiring hero for a similar kind of value? Because just inspiring, for me anyway, maybe I overrate it. Maybe I'm a bit more defensive as a kind of a player and rate those things a lot because I know some people are just like bugger inspiring, don't need it, that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, that's never really been the way that I prefer to play. So for my play style, inspiring talisman. But second warlock with a boomstick, hell yeah, sign me up. I, I don't think I've ever actually 
taken it, but I've definitely bopped him in a list a bunch of times, and then he's ended up getting trimmed for something else. Mm. Alright, so what's next? War Chief, what do you got? Chief of War. Speed 6, melee 3, defense 5. This is your big, nasty, choppy character in theory. But he's still only infantry base, so he's not that big. <laughs> uh, yeah, small, chubby character. I don't know. He's Big a general heart. kind of equivalent. <laughs> He's got five attacks, 11, 13 nerve, which is pretty bad for this kind of thing, which I think it fits the Ratkin theme nicely. 85 points. So he's pretty cheap. Yep. Crush one, individual, inspiring, mighty. Mm-hmm. Uh, debatable, that last one. Mm. I mean, the rule's not debatable. Depends but on how many we pick. Whether he, he actually is mighty or not is <laughs> very debatable indeed. I've been trying him in low points games a little bit. Uh, I'm finding him to be... I like him, especially on a on a flea bag. Yeah, I think the flea bag option's great. It's just 35 points. Man, they pay a lot for, for mounts these it's days. Rich, yeah. But one, it brings him up to 120. Very fast, inspiring source. Can get sort of wherever he needs to be, which is nice. But five attacks, three to hit, crush one is pretty poor. You're only really expecting him to put an extra wound or two on something. To a degree, he can threaten war machines, but there are, there is another character which is probably better at threatening war machines. I think he's excellent at grounding flyers. Yep, for sure. And, pr- and protecting any unit that is about to get killed because of that mighty. So he just becomes very a very, very mobile chaff unit mm. in, in that role. Yeah, that's probably the way to think of him, actually. And he inspires at the same time. So he, he's okay. I know you really like your super mobile chaff flea bag kind of units uh, more than most people. Mm. That's him. Just, just one. Just need, just need one. I don't think you need one at all, but I, I think do. he's okay. He's <laughs> an option. You've got other chaff units. Like the army's full of chaff units. You don't necessarily need a hundred and twenty point one. Most people will still go through him in one round. I say people. Most nasty hammer units will still easily go through him in one round. He's only eleven thirteen nerve, which is fine for a chaff unit, of course. But you are paying one hundred and twenty points for him. I don't know. And he keeps up with your. A regiment of hackpaws and your uh, tunnel runners as well. Yes, he does. So he offers inspiring. I think you take the war chief for me when you. I think he's a great. He becomes a much more attractive option when you don't take the demon. I know I keep mentioning the demon. He's a very important part of the list, and we'll get to him eventually with an unpronounceable name. But if you don't take your demon, you don't have one of those fast inspiring sources and you need someone say you have a flank a bit like i've described a few times already where you've got a unit of tunnel runners maybe a unit of hack paws maybe you've got a death engine impaler out there i think having one of these guys on a flea bag is excellent to do exactly as benson says to chaff up but also just to run around and inspire that unit and keep up with them and add an extra wound or two to the combat to boot and maybe even threaten the war machine at some point in the game and not have to commit one of those units to it so in that kind of role he's excellent however the demon does that role so much better. That yeah, but the demon's 225 <laughs> points or more. The demon costs a lot of points, absolutely. <laughs> um, but that, that's another reason why you're not likely to see this guy in an army with the demon because he costs so many points. Yeah, You're going to find yourself stretched in other places and this guy is often one of the first things to uh, fall off the side of your army list. Yeah. Mm. I like the War Chief. Mournful Blade works well. Or even just if you're keeping him cheap, just to re-roll to hit or re-roll to wound in combat, just to make sure when he hits a flyer that he's grounding it. Yeah, I think yeah. you got five points left over. I'd definitely slap one of those on him. Why not? Yeah, re-roll to wound for me if you're going to use him as a flyer grounder. So he's got five attacks hitting on threes. You just need help with the wounding. So. Mm. And a lot of flyers are defense well, five. Statistically, either one yeah. would be identical, but sure. Pretty much right. Or it? hitting on threes or wounding on fives. 
Or fours, I guess. Fours most of the time, yeah. Your re-roll is actually more likely on your uh, roll to hit because the re-roll is more likely to result in a hit. Yeah, well, I feel like I'm doing something when I wound. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually it's exactly the same. It's it's just take either, guys. It's don't, the don't psychology. It. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Extra 16.7%, everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to the Cryboy. Crybaby, Swarm Cryer. He is speed six, uh, melee five, defense four, one attack. 810 nerve, individual inspiring. Uh, he's just a bloke that holds a flag, you know, like virtually every other army has, if not every single other army. One of the small things that he's slightly better than other armies at is that move six. Mm. I know that's kind of across the board for Ratkin, but... 45 points for a speed six, dude. It's pretty good. It's really fine, yeah, because you, obviously you can move 12 if you move at the double, and being individual makes him very swift. He gets where he needs to be with that flag, and he waves it around. For 25 points, you can give him a flea bag. This, I've never, never, ever done that, but honestly... It's not the worst option in the end in the in the world. He's still seventy points altogether. And maybe if you're feeling re- in that scenario I've just described, where you might take a war chief, one of these on a on a flea bag does most of what the war chief does. It's just that they he can't realistically threaten a flyer or a war machine or anything else which the war chief can do. He's, he's not he's not chaff at all because you just walk right through him. He doesn't do anything. You have to be quite specific yeah. in your placement, and yeah, that's true. It's just a shame this guy doesn't have radiance of life swarm or uh, an ability to cry and make swarms appear. Yeah, that would be much better, wouldn't it? Or if a swarm dies, he he gets upset and then he gets like especially two appropriate for my miniature, <laughs> which is that guy waving a stick and it's like just covered in rats. Got rats all over it. Yeah, yeah. he's a stock standard infantry uh, banner bearer, so works well. He's a forty-five point inspiring choice, so he's excellent. You'll see him yep. in a lot of different lists. It's just like I need a little bit more inspiring in my list. He's the cheapest option to do it. He's going to get slotted in there often. Yeah, th- nothing mm-hmm. wrong with him. Nothing particularly exciting about him either. Loot of Insatiable Darkness is a great choice on him because it's 65 points. When you compare to that Warlock I was talking about before, once you pay for Bane Chant and the Inspiring, so you're in sort of a similar place there, he's 140 points. This bloke's only Bane Chant 2, but he's doing it for 65. That's 75 points less. That's so much less. So anytime your Warlock is walking behind your unit, giving it Inspiring in the sense of Inspiring Talisman, and chucking a Bane Chant on it, he's doing almost precisely the same job for 75 points more than a swarm cryer could do it mm. so bear that in mind whacking one of him in with the with the loot and then the warlock with the you know that warlock i described earlier because he's still good he's still got lightning and all that stuff i think um that's a really nice little pairing and those two find their way into my list a lot i'm just comparing this guy to the goblin flag waiver is five points more for one extra speed otherwise they're identical so i think that's pretty good value yeah, I'd pay that five points for the speed. Yeah. It really matters to get that uh, inspiring where you need it. All right, let's move on to some bigger boys. We'll start off with the Night Terror. Guy in your sleep, he gives you bad dreams. This guy's a large cavalry, height three, speed nine, which is nice. Melee three, defense five, unit strength one, because he's large cav. Five attacks, 12-14 on the nerve at 135 points. He's not inspirational, but he does have crushing two and is nimble. So he's... Hmm quick beater give him the talisman if no one else has got it and then he can run with the other guys and be more of a threat than the war chief he's a lot like a war werewolf character yeah quite similar without the regen and the nerve. no regen and he doesn't werewolf characters inspire werewolves i believe they yes, yes. Yep. Whatever. so um yeah another <laughs> red hot contender for that inspiring talisman so you can tell that's quite a desirable item and i've found myself with lists with one of these guys and a warlock in it 
and not sure which <laughs> which guy to put that <laughs> talisman on. I, thought I really rate that talisman highly in Ratkin. You could also just give this guy self-inspiration and have him running off doing his own thing. True. And defense 5, 12, 14 nerve, if he was self-inspired against a lot of small units that you find on flanks and stuff, they'd definitely struggle to get through him in a charge. Mm. He's okay. He's hard to fit in. There's nothing really wrong with him. He's quite expensive for five attacks. Yeah. But he is fast. But he's quite quick. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got him, your war chief on mount, and also your uh, master scurrier slash assassin is what everyone's going to call him. Those are sort of your three relatively quick pseudo choppy characters, mm. somewhat choppy characters. Those are your three things that you could potentially use to threaten war machines and things like that in a meaningful way. And it's it's kind of up to taste really which one you prefer i reckon i don't think any of those three are particularly good units but nor are they completely rubbish so yeah take a pick. what do you reckon Selick? would you ever use him yeah I'm, I'm i don't think i would and i think it all comes down to the points i just think he's a touch and i'm talking like 10 maybe 15 points overpriced and I, I just have to keep going back to other lists, and I know that other lists aren't quite the same. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have a look at the Lycan Alpha, for example, so he's got extremely similar stat line. So I think he's nine three and five defense as well, five yep. attacks. He's got slightly higher nerve, and I expect that not being in the Ratkin list. But he's also got inspiring to yeah other alphas, which really matters. But he's got Pathfinder and Regen as well. And he's only uh, 30 points more. And I just think it, it fits their list or like that list a lot better than this list, in my opinion. Mm. But that, that's that's just where I'm at. At the moment, I, I just he doesn't fit anywhere in my terrors of the night. Both Hackpaws and Tunnel Runners unlock, it's worth mentioning. So having if you had a heap of regiments of them and you were taking this quite unusual Ratkin list, which just says bug of plague pots, bug of rallying, you know, bugger hordes of rats. I'm just going to take this weird, like, cavalry force kind of list. Getting a few night terrors, a night terror or two in there, or one with the inspiring talisman is probably very likely. Mm. Seems pretty yeah, good. I'd probably be using the, the war chief at that point if I was going to be running that sort of list. But I think I prefer the war chief to, he's that little bit more, uh, well, he's not actually, with nine and nimble, I was going to say he's more mobile. He's not really. They're the same speed and nimble. They're it's just because nimble. it's individual. It's individual. So you get that. Individual is a little bit more mobile, but then again, Night Terror can threaten flanks and rears a little bit more than the yeah. War Chief can on account of being large cav. Yeah. It, it, you just get the extra points if you run the War Chief instead of the Night Terror. But... You can claim an objective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right, right there with you. I completely agree. I feel like he's about 10 points more than he perhaps should be. Doesn't 10. Have a great yeah. role. That's my, my brain said 10 at the start. Which brings us to. The, the most powerful unit in Kings of War. The Brute Enforcer. He is a large infantry unit at speed oh, six. No. I forgot about Brute Enforcer. Oh. I already skipped straight over him. He's <laughs> <a potato. laughs> this guy's so well, forgettable. <laughs> we're we're going to cover, cover the poor Brute Enforcer. Speed six, melee three plus, no range and defense five. Uh, unit strength is one with only three attacks. 11.13 is his nerve. With a 75 point price tag there at height 3. Does have the special rules of brutal, crushing strength 2, nimble and rallying 1. With the keywords abomination and tech. I don't know what tech is. He's such a weird unit. I kind of like this guy. I was just writing my list before. And I was thinking this guy sitting behind your um, shock troops. 
and if he needs, if you could put the talisman on him, great. But he can duck out and charge whatever the shock troops are charging as well and add slightly more punch to it, but giving the brutal as well. Yeah, I think I've overlooked brutal when reading across this guy in the past. I've never taken this guy before. But I agree with you. Brutal is actually a really cool ability to have mm. to add to a unit. Mm. Being large infantry is like a straight up disadvantage for this guy. I feel like if he was an individual, that would be more helpful in terms of getting in the right position and stuff. But but because he can see over the shock troops, he can pivot, move, pivot, then hit, and then double charge anything. So he can stay safe behind your regiments and then come out and hit things if need be. Yeah, with all three of his attacks. Yeah, but then it's Brutal on top. <laughs> yeah, the Brutal yeah. definitely makes him a lot better, and I admit I have overlooked that in the past. Crush two, I mean, who cares? He hits two times and wounds one or two times, but then getting that extra Brutal in. He's actually pretty reliably adding two points, basically, two. towards two. nearly every combat, right? Yeah. Every now and again, he'll add three. As a large infantry as well, with Nimble, he can also shut down on the flanks, so he can shut down uh, other people's attacks. And being able to get out of um, combat. Towards the end of the game, if he's still alive, he can just nimble out of there and add his unit strength to whatever. Yeah, yeah he's not inspiring, but he is rallying, mm. which is quite nice. If you don't have a mutant rat fiend in your army or a tangle, which we'll get to in a sec, which are the two other units that offer rallying outside of hordes, I could definitely see a place for him because having that smaller footprint unit that can stand in between your hordes and make sure that all your hordes and things are getting rallying too is quite significant. Also, I should mention the demon has just rallying too built in. (laughs) Yeah, I I sort of see a place for him, but he's so in-betweeny. He's sort of in-between everything else. I don't know. So, Hugh, I think we have to go back to one of your comments earlier is he doesn't have an inspiring... So you have to question why you're taking him. Yeah, I just told you. (laughs) (laughs) To put one or two extra wounds into a combat. Yeah, and then run off and do things at the end of the game. Well, you can do that cheaper. With what? With, like, he's only unit strength one, right? That's all you need sometimes. Sometimes it is. But you could spend an extra ten points and get a unit strength two. Uh, that will do similar amounts of uh, wounds. But on it's not average. as maneuverable. I know it's not as maneuverable, <laughs> but it'll be more usable, I guess, in all of the other games. Assuming you don't have the Inspiring Talisman somewhere else, what do you think of one with the Inspiring Talisman on him? Well, I mean, you still have to question it, I guess. Is No, I don't. Your... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do, yeah. Yep, I you said do. question it. <laughs> When compared to a warlock with the inspiring talisman, or the swarm crier with the yeah. with the loot, who who costs a bit less. But again, different roles. No, it's almost exactly the same role. It's the stand next to your big infantry and support it in some way. And how how does a warlock or swarm crier get objectives? It doesn't. They keep other people alive. Yeah, but if you if your big old <laughs> fat infantry unit that you're standing next to, if you manage to support it well enough in order for it to survive the game, then they get the objectives, don't they? Yeah, but they're not as manoeuvrable. What was this oh, said? <laughs> just... Who brought this guy? Put it this way: I've never, ever, ever seen a brute enforcer on the table. There must well, be a reason for that. No one else plays Ratkin. We're going to find out in about <laughs> other twenty people minutes do. or other so. Do. That's uh, Benson's got six of these in his list or something. Sure. <laughs> I hope so. It sounds like uh, a great list. Hugh, who is the next guy and what does he do with his stick? I'm going to tell you what, Benson. I'm going to take... I'll take you up on the challenge before we move on to the most powerful unit in Kings of War. Against Tracy, best Kings of War player in the in the entire world in case anyone doesn't realise. <laughs> I have grudged him in a tournament in June. It course, may not go ahead. Know, world events being as they are, that, that event may not go forward. But if it does, I am I'm playing the man himself round one. 
And just for science, I will take a Brute Enforcer in my list. Thank you. Make sure you play it how I imagined it should be played. Okay, I'll try. Although <laughs> it is trashy, so you'll probably find a way to screw me over. <laughs> so um, I'm taking the Master Scurrier, a.k.a. Assassin, because Master Scurrier is a terrible name. Mm. Hero Infantry. He is speed 7, melee 3+, plus, range 4+, plus, defense 4+, plus, 4 attacks, 10, 12 nerve, and 95 points. He's got Crushing 1, Duelist. Hey, hey. Individual, Scout, Stealthy, Vicious. He's got a Blight Pistol, because they want you to take their futuristic-looking <laughs> pelican as your Master Scarrier. He's like this semi-cyborg rat that's a little bit like bowed over and he's got like a gun. It's like, forget about it. You want to, Come on, man. So, yeah, he's got Ninja Stars is what he's actually got. 12-inch range, piercing one. I hope one day they release a Master Scarrier who looks like a cool Eshenny assassin kind of thing. I get that they're trying to get away from the Games Workshop aesthetic in some places, but forget it. It's not not 40K rats, for God's sake. This is a fantasy game. Don't write it in in the fluff that his sneaking goes on covert missions. Exactly. If he's just this like hunking, like semi-mechanical big old rat with a big pistol ridiculous couldn't get through a metal detector this is this is from the law most assassins will have learned their basic skills serving as scouts in the scurrier teams those who show promise become master scurriers and are sent on near impossible missions to further own their lethal abilities yeah that miniature doesn't look like it's winning any impossible missions not assassin <laughs> although to be fair master scurriers uh, have a habit of fluffing impossible missions anyway which is part of the joy of them so 95 points. Have to compare to the last edition a little bit with this guy just because obviously I took lists with three of them in the, and stuff. And sort of famous, <laughs> infamous for running around uh, Kings of War tables being not entirely useless despite the uh, the, <laughs> the big old <laughs> splint that is having multiple assassins in your list. What they're useful for in this edition, I believe. A, they've got Duelist. They've got a bit cheaper, which is awesome. Mm. They still don't have Ensnare, which I feel like would make them a really interesting unit. They could like hide in forest and get in the way of things. As well as attacking, like ensnare could be like smoke bombs or like traps or something that could be cool. But forget about it; it doesn't have that. Though crush one and five and four attacks, not five but four attacks, that really does matter, especially with duelist. Means that they're actually, despite their assassiny ways, no good at taking out characters that are actually decent. Mm-hmm. So they kill wizards and stuff. They kill crap characters. They don't kill them. They just stop them from casting spells for two turns. <laughs> yeah, they quite often don't <laughs> kill them on the charge. Maybe over two rounds of combat they might kill them. Now with Duelist though, that's eight attacks hitting on threes with CS1. Yeah, exactly. But so... you'll get, what, four, five? So, like, I mean, you'd give yourself a good chance of knocking a, even a decent there character. There is a chance. It's pretty dicey. Yeah. You, if you roll a decent nerve roll, yes, you get them. Uh, I mean, more often than not, they'll be inspired. You'll have to do it twice. It's pretty dicey. Uh, it's certainly, you're right. It's not impossible that they'll go through a wizard in a charge. Um, I find that that doesn't tend to happen. <laughs> no. But, I mean, it's, it's just part of their their whole je ne sais quoi. It's part of their whole, the, it's Marbo, it's the vibe, you know. They go in, they miss with all their attacks. And then they stand there with their dicks in the wind. That's what assassins do. We know this. So <laughs> it doesn't matter what their stats are in a way. Apart from Stickman. Aubergine Stickman. But no, yeah. what, what they're quite good for is threatening war machines and making your opponent think. They have Scout and Movement 7, so you can move them 14 inches up the board at the start of the or before the game, die roll for first turn goes. And if anyone puts their war machine on the line or close to the line, particularly popular with with a couple of factions anyway. Moving forward at the start of the game is going to make your opponent sweat for that 
die roll for first turn, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> if they lose it, they, they get to charge. I've done this quite a few times and I've not yet to even <laughs> once win the die roll for first turn in that <laughs> scenario. But hey, at least I made my opponent sweat a bit. Yeah, I think the stealthy and the scout does help a little bit. So you can always scout up into some trees and be at neg two to hit. Mm-hmm. And nobody shoots. Nobody shoots at them at neg two. Um, but uh, shout out to AG. I know you're listening to this. You big jerk. <laughs> Last time I told him, uh, AG, uh, he, I was saying he's a big jerk because he turned. He like twice like rotated to face my assassin in the woods and just went ah oh, sevens to hit. Okay, well I got six shots. Okay, that's two wounds and you wavered. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> that is bullshit. So I can't tell you how many times he's been like hit with a war machine, and the, the opponent's like, well, I got nothing else to shoot at. It's just, it's just funny. That's just the assassin's way. Like you know, they shouldn't get hit, but they do. Yeah, you're right though. You'll deter them, with the exception of certain jammy people who uh, won't remain nameless. I guess, <laughs> with the exception of that, uh, generally people will go, "Oh yeah, it's an assassin in a forest. I'm going to not shoot that for obvious reasons." Negative three to hit because you're individual as well. Yeah, you're not, <laughs> you're not going to shoot that most of the time. But yeah, he get he gets around. He can fling sharp stuff at things. Forget about the blight pistol; it's not real. But he can <laughs> fling some four attacks, uh, range four plus, and pierce one. And he is vicious, uh, both on shooting and in combat. So he can quite reliably put out uh, one or two damage with his shooting. Very similar to combat. Sometimes you'll find you want to charge. Sometimes you'll find you're happy just running around the flanks and just chucking a few ninja stars at things. And making mm. your opponent think, making them think, is he going to, I need to position my wizard in this awkward spot that I don't necessarily want to put him just so he's out of range of this assassin. Movement seven rather than six really does matter here. And also, do I need to leave a unit back to protect my war machines or something like that? Because for 95 points, you don't mind sending him after a war machine or something. It's not like sending a dragon after a war machine, which is often a waste. It's actually not bad on an assassin. And I've been trying him a little bit with the wings of the honey maze as well, mm-hmm. which puts him down to a pathetic defense three. But that doesn't really matter if no one ever attacks him uh, in the shooting phase. And yeah, going up to speed 10, <laughs> you can just fly 20 inches up as part of your scout move and then just make your opponent just looks at him and goes, <laughs> oh, shit, I've really got to think about this. Super powerful? No. Super fun for the Ratkin player? Hell yes. So <laughs> taking one every now and again is great. Don't take three like me unless you're a complete lunatic. Two's the sweet spot. <laughs> no, two is not the sweet spot. Uh, probably zero is still the sweet spot, tragically. But um, if you're playing a lot of War Machines in your meta, one is great. Uh, and Wings of the Honey Maze, if you've got enough points left over, is not a bad item on him. I don't think I'd really put anything else on him. Maybe a Blade of Slashing again if you've got five points kicking around because he does only have four attacks, which is pretty pathetic. So even... <laughs> A lot of times he'll charge a war machine and not kill it because 12 attacks, threes to hit. He can just fluff it sometimes. Yeah. I find that 95 points is a weird point level to start assigning magical artifacts. Yeah. Like, you're right. Like, if you give him the wings, it makes him more versatile and it gives him a couple of actual roles in your army. Same as if you put the wings on the war chief. Boots of levitation so he can... Move at the double and shoot. Yeah, well, like I mean, yeah, if you want to do that with four attacks, it's quite a lot of points for your four shots. You're only gonna f- you're only gonna fling your sharp stuff maybe two times in the game. Well, you're taking a master scoriac. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> but outside of the wings, do you think there's any other points cost, or what would you be capping your points cost at with this guy? Fifty. Thanks, Benson. Sort of slashing. Yeah. So like five point crystal pendant. Crystal pendant. Boom. 
Uh, you're not you're not shooting him. Yeah, but he'll die against most things that charge mm. him. You, and then they explode. If your opponent's clever and they charge <laughs> him with like their regiment of meathead pole arms or something like that, and then you blow up on them and do a bunch of damage, you'd be like, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> ah. your, your guy just got 150. So, points. it sounds like uh, Wings yeah. of Honey Maids. Aside from the wings, maybe 20 points, I think. Yeah. Or, or just five, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you've got points left over and you don't want to give plague pots to anything or, or you know, you can't or whatever, however your army list is, is ending up, sort of slashing, Wings of Honey Maze, and then if you've got loads of points left over or you're feeling like a real troll, Crystal Pendant. Boom. Okay, so we're on to the last section here, the Unique Units for the Rackin. First up, we have the Tangle. This is a Titan Spellcaster 0, so you can't hex it. Height 3. Well, he's on a Titan base anyway. Uh, speed 5, melee 4, defense 4. Unit strength 1, 9 attacks. Fearless 14 at 160 points. And this Tangle has an aura of fury. It inspires. It's also nimble and spits out some rallying 1. Strangely, regen 6 and is vicious in melee. So what the Tangle also does is for each friendly core, infantry, regiment, horde, legion, with the vermin keyword, which we established earlier isn't much, you can increase your dice for your Bane Chant, Fireball, and Mind Fog, and Weakness, which are the four spells that he has built in, by one to a maximum of three. So he starts off with Bane Chant 1, Fireball 10, Mind Fog 1, Weakness 1, but if you have enough of the vermin around, you can get up to Bane Chant 4, Mind Fog 4, Weakness 4. Just to make sure that those things are going off, you probably don't need that much. Yeah, it's not just vermin, to be clear. It's um, also in any core infantry regiment. Or, or unit horde. with... Okay, right. Or unit with vermin, yeah. So yeah. so basically that means any regiment or horde that's nearby. Or yeah. the rats. Yeah. <laughs> Plus or the, the, the little rat units, yeah. <laughs> I guess also the... Uh, isn't the, the big boy vermin as well? The mutant rat fiend? Yeah. Uh, yes. The um, And I found... So in my CanCon list... I took one of these guys and also a mutant rat fiend plus a couple of hordes of shock troops and I found that as a center was super duper tough because yeah you've everything's got rallying too he's usually casting bane chant 4 mind fog 4 weakness 4 uh, or 5 or 13 every now and again something moves out of range or whatever and he's only adding mm. one or two you know but a lot of the time he's adding that the extra height is a double edged sword because can be seen like, and can see others. He can be seen, but you can also use that. And you actually find that you use mind fog and weakness and stuff every now and again because in those early turns of the game, you're out of range of fireball and bane chant potentially or you don't have a use for it. So you, you fling out a couple of those other spells, in which case it's nice to be height three. You can see over your hordes and stuff because you don't want this guy on the front line, obviously. He's a support unit. Mm. I never once remembered regen 6+. plus. It's funny, as you're reading that out, I'm like, what the fuck? He's got regen It has regen? (laughs) Yeah. Never once remembered that. Probably would have come in handy every now and again. One of the weirdest things about this unit is it's it's a wizard that can take a hit. Nerve 14. And because of where it hangs out with all its friends and stuff, it's, again, often rallied. So when Mm. you've got like a a dash 16 wizard... It, it can actually take a charge from something and hold every now and again and be a, be a little tar pit, which is quite a weird little perk. And then it dishes out nine attacks back, which which is a non-zero amount of attacks, like mm. weak attacks. Surprising. Still, yeah. yeah, still not sure on the tangle for me. His point costs and what he actually does as a, as a support character, it's, eh, like you can do it cheaper. You definitely can do it cheaper. He's a weird, weird unit because when you compare it to... Most of the characters so far, with the exception of the Scurrier 
and I suppose the Night Terror to an extent as well. They've been support characters one way or another. And this guy, like for his 160, it's quite similar, you know, in comparison to a Broodmother or a Warlock, what the, one of those characters might be doing. His spells are very reliable, which is interesting. And he also doubles as like a mini war machine with that fireball. And I find that when I had him with, I had two weapon teams as well. So that center meant that he could threaten with his fireball. He could chuck out a weakness every now and again, which was handy. Every now and again, he might need to reach out and touch something with mind fog to make it run. So you pay a lot for that versatility. Mm. He brings all those things to the table that a warlock or a broodmother doesn't. But then when he's just standing behind something, giving it inspiring and chucking a Bane chant into it, you could be doing that in fairness with a warlock or even more cheaply with a with a swarm cry with a Bane mm. chant, with the uh, loot. Yeah, but this guy with all his spells can't be hexed. That's true. <laughs> yeah, which is so <laughs> No wonder he's 160 points. <laughs> <laughs> also, let's not forget Aura Fury. And this I thought would be... Rad. Let's uh, like I played one practice game against Viv. Those of you who listen to the CanCon cast, which probably as many of you would remember that I played him in that game beforehand, and then all that banter and whatever between myself and Viv. In that game against Viv, Fury was clutch. Like he went in, and admittedly, I still think, in theory at least, on paper, it seems pretty good because the shock troops you so rely on that counterpunch, as I've spoken about a couple of times. When you got this really solid center, you want to be able to take a hit potentially heal a little bit, certainly countercharge and put in a bunch of pain. Mm. As we all know, when you're taking like multiple hordes of infantry or something, if they get wavered at the wrong time, it's a major, major setback. It could even be like game over. You know, they go in and then they roll like 10 on the nerve. You don't get to re-roll it despite all your, you know, all the points you've invested in rallying and um, inspiring and all that kind of thing. Sometimes even, <laughs> and this this does happen with rallying, rallying can be surprisingly a double-edged sword where you're like someone rolls a high nerve they spike the nerve and if you didn't have rallying you would break and therefore get to re-roll as a result of inspiring but because you do have rallying it takes your value up just that little bit higher and then you waver and sometimes that waver is even worse than breaking and obviously you don't get to re-roll the waver and this has happened to me countless times every ratkin player has felt the pain of this and you actually say oh crap he's rallying no <laughs> No, it means he's wavered. Oh, no, it means the whole battle line can't move forward. It means they can't countercharge. It's a disaster. So for that reason, Aura 6-inch on a wide base, is a massive range, that Aura 6-inch, mm. giving everything fury. Sounds super rad, but I admit not once in CanCon, not once did that Aura fury come up. Mm-hmm. It could have, just the, the way the dice fell, it didn't. But uh, oh, I don't know. It's such a versatile unit. I really still am, as you can probably tell from everything I've said about it, like on the fence about the tank. got a soft Because you're right, Zalek, it is expensive. But God, it's such a versatile piece. Well, next up, we've got the the crying mother, the mother Kreiser, which is a large <laughs> infantry uh, spellcaster of three. Uh, so it can be hexed, Benson, mm, nice. uh, with a height of three as well. So speed six, melee three plus, defense five. Uh, it's got a unit strength of one, five attacks. Nerve is 13, 15 on 165 points. Special rules comes with crushing strength one and stare inspiring nimble and stealthy. It's got uh, lightning bolt five with a couple of options. It's got bane chant three for 30 points. We've got blood boil one obviously for 20 points and veil of shadows two for 25 points as well. And it's got the keywords brood mother and ratkin and tech. 
deck. So this is a fancy broodmother. It is, it is. Yeah, with a completely different role to a normal broodmother, which is weird. Because of the cloak of death. Death. And no drain life. It's a very offensive. It's lightning bolt instead. Hmm. So much longer range, more of an offensive unit. Cloak of death is great. It's more of a combat thing because of the ensnare as well. That's right. The most important rule on this figure, I think, is ensnare. It's got a lot of stuff going on, and the Cloak of Shadows, sorry, the Cloak of Death is really good as well. I've taken this most recently in that list, which I was talking about before, which I took recently to a tournament, which was quite, frankly, quite weak, and taking a bunch of the things that I don't normally take, including this unit, the Mother Chrysler. Mm-hmm. Instead of being that kind of horde infantry march forward counterpunch kind of list, it was more, as I've, I think I've mentioned as well, like this kind of short range firepower kind of list. That had a lot of breath weapony kind of equivalents and a lot of ways to jam up your opponent and annoy them and just tries to sort of stay that 12, 8-inch range, put a heap of wounds on mm. things and then move in and finish it off. At least that's the theory of the list and take a charge every now and again. So Mother Cries' role in that is move forward, preferably in a forest, get in the way of something and then go, yep, I've got a fairly high nerve and as we all know, ensnared things when your opponent's impeded, which is a relatively easy thing to orchestrate with a um, only large infantry base. You've got a small footprint. The theory there is that she can take charges all day and she can fling lightning bolt if your opponent ignores her. Getting the Bane Chant for an extra 30 points seems okay, but I didn't do it because she's going up to nearly 200, 200 points, points yeah. then. She costs so many points for something that doesn't do much damage. Yeah, I don't know. Defense 5 is nice. It's still not a great unit. And honestly, a regular broodmother is probably going to serve you better a lot of the time you really need to be taking advantage of that ensnare and that cloak of death and getting a lot of value out of that in order to make this a worthwhile choice yeah Mm. seems like another one of those units that's trying to do two things and you're paying for it so you're trying to get on the front line Mm -hmm. and take a charge and tie up a unit at the same time you're trying to cast and I just think Same that... time you're trying to stand back, flow lightning yeah. and inspire. Yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't and it? I just think that if you just stop and go, well, what do I need my list to do? You'll be able to do it probably about, I don't know, 50, 60 points cheaper and just do it better. Very true. I think in a gun line, though, I think that Mother Chrysler does have a bit of a niche. In if you take So there's a lot of ways to take Ratkin. We've talked about the counterpunch list sort of with a lot of heavy infantry kind of things. I think this still, I still personally think this is the most powerful way of taking them. Taking like a really cavalry heavy one, I guess, is an option, although it'd be a bit weird. Why aren't you taking a different list? This kind of short range shooting one, or you can also take a gun liney kind of list with a lot of claw shot shredders, lots of lightning and stuff like that. And in that list, I think she's got a slot because yes, she costs more than a warlock or other lightning related things, but she can stand in front of something and hold it up for days and put plink a lot of wounds on stuff and keep disengaging from combat, not striking again. So the opponent has to charge into you. Hopefully they're impeded again. Hopefully they've got ensnared and you can just keep shooting at them. And I think that's what she's for. I think because she's a bit more of an anvil here because of the ensnare and the defense five, having another mum about draining and healing mum Chrysler would be a good combo. Yeah, it could be. Again, it's it's a bit clunky and it's a lot of points Mm. for not a huge amount of effect, but I think that has a has a niche kind of place. Yeah, I feel like she doesn't really read that way, but I feel like she's probably a gunline style army list unit. But even then, I'm you know I'm trying pretty hard to say. <laughs> you can probably tell from the tone of my voice that I don't think she's red hot. Mm. Any any listeners who've had a lot of success with Mother Chrysler, I'd be interested in because she's an interesting unit. She's a weird unit, a bit different. Yeah, send us a Facebook or. Twitter message and we'll get back to it. So Hugh, why don't you tell us about something that you love? Scuddy. 
Okay, Scuddy, uh, aka Skudkuzluk, demon spawn of dew. Skudkuzluk. Scuddy. Skudkuzluk. Skudkuzluk. Skud. Why? 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 Skudkuzluk. I guess it's just a fantasy trope to give demons like super unpronounceable kind of names, right? Like it's kind of part of their shtick. Yeah, guttural. So it's the Scuddy. Scuddy. Scuddo. The Scud missile. Scado. Scado. Vermin Lord. Scaddy. Scad, what's up? The Dewey Demon. Anyway, he's a Titan. So his base got a lot larger recently. Don't use an old base. Don't screw people over. He's got speed 10 because he's a flyer. He comes with wings now. You no longer have to upgrade him to it, which you just do every time anyway. Speed 10, melee 3 plus, defense 5 plus. Unit strength 1, of course. 17, 19 nerve, which is pretty nice. 345 points. Height 6. Costs a lot. Yeah, he's super tall because he's a titan. Yeah, so you can see over everything in the army with the exception of the mutant rat fiend, which is also a titan. But he has crush three, so he just wins everything on twos pretty much. He has fly, inspiring, nimble, and rallying two. So he's a really good inspirer, more so than even other dragons and other lord equivalents. So he he costs a huge number of points. What you need to understand, and he's got lightning bolt five, so he's got like a little shooting thing thrown in there as well, because why not? You might fling that about every now and again, move him 10. Can't be hexed though. Yeah, move him 10, rotate him, lightning bolt, can't be hexed for some insane reason, because they just hate hex for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was really OP in playtests, and they're like, we've got to do something about this, let's nerf it into oblivion. I don't understand how that's... How is he not hexable? He's like a thing of magic and everything else. But uh, what I really like to draw people's attention to about this demon spawn versus... Every other giant dragon and flying monstrosity and demon lord and whatever else in the game is two things. One, he's got rallying, so he holds a flank so nicely. In all these kinds of lists I've talked about with this really solid center with a bunch of shock troops and a bunch of rallying and inspiring and whatever around. Where you don't have a lot of that in your Ratkin army is on your flanks because you've got either regiments there or you've got your faster cavalry things and stuff. And all of that stuff doesn't have rallying and doesn't have a lot of nerve to begin with. Often it's quite low defense as well. He can stand nearby them and and offer rallying to and inspiring at the same time. And he can put that aura wherever he really likes by flying around to do it. So that's something that a lot of other dragons and things don't have. They've got inspiring but not that rallying too. Plus two to nerve is no joke. But then the other thing, which is even more important, he has 13 attacks. Sacred number, bitches. Mm. Shove that up here. <laughs> yeah, so 13 attacks at melee three and crush two. Sorry, crush crush three. He is incredibly reliable. So many other dragons and stuff out there have like eight to ten attacks. You know, they're almost always melee three. Very occasionally, I guess, melee four. But they, you know, they have that sort of profile where they're going to hit sort of between five and eight times, this guy reliably hits like, he, he gets nine or ten wounds on something, like so, so often in the front. That's just incredible. And like he can fly around and hit things in there. Obviously he can do what every dragon can do, like fly 20 and pivot. Uh, he can also move 10, chuck a lightning bolt out, inspire stuff for a few turns and then go in when the time is right. Incredible unit, incredibly expensive, but justifiably so i think he brings so much to the ratkin that they just don't have otherwise have he's got he's very fast and very hitty which pretty much nothing else is their closest thing i suppose is their um tunnel runners but the tunnel runners obviously don't fly they're only movement eight not ten they don't hit nearly as hard <laughs> they don't inspire they don't rally they don't shoot 
So where we've talked about other units sort of doing everything and paying the cost for it, he does too. But instead of doing everything averagely do, he does everything extremely well. Mm. So you've got your Horde army more so than other armies. You can sometimes afford this 345-point unit. I'm always trying to lately really i've been trying to take lists without him because i feel like he's such a crutch he's just that good 13 attacks like oh you hit something in the flank well it's just dead delete take it off you said 13 is the sacred number if you hit mm-hmm. someone in the flank does it not is it worse because it's no longer sacred it's, it's 26. double sacred baby double sacred, Super sacred. <laughs> <laughs> just if you multiply something the sacredness of something then it doesn't get less sacred it's more sacred does it well it's 13 twice yeah. it's not 26. But it's also. If you build like, a temple and then you build another temple that's twice as big, is it less sacred? Hell no. <laughs> I rest my case. Anyway, Demon Lord, he's a beast. Bring him out if you want to win games of Kings of War. But don't, if you have brought him out, uh, for heaven's sake, don't commit him too early. Use some of his abilities by flying around, giving inspiring, giving all that kind of stuff, chucking some lightning bolts around. And if you want to overload a flank with him and some, some other fast units to be friends with, he does that very effectively. If you can, if you have him behind your opponent's line on about turn four, where he's sort of, you know, you've left your, your army up to its own devices at that point. Hopefully, you've got other inspiring around. You're probably in a good place. And I just find that in a Ratkin list at two thousand points, if this guy's on the table at the end of the game, I've probably won. Mm. If he's dead on turn two, it's going to be a struggle. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> That's a good but, chunk of your army gone. Yeah, it is indeed. And sometimes I play. You, you play like enough war machines, and they just take him off super fast. There's nothing they could yeah. you could do or whatever. But if you position him cleverly and you play with him smartly, he'll do what every other dragon does, only better. Hmm. All right. How about we take a break there, and then when we come back, we'll discuss if there's any allies that could be useful, and then we'll go through some example lists. Sounds good. With the biggest brutes he had created. Bazak reasserted his authority and quickly rose back to a position of power even greater than before. Over the years that followed, the Ratkin became a commonplace sight in the slave dens and their endless supply saw them sacrificed, tortured, maimed, wept and discarded in inconceivable numbers. The Ratkin were bred for oppression and were thus cruelly exploited. But they thrive in adversity. The darkest, most miserable places in the world are the domain of rats. They watched, they learned, they plotted and schemed. And we're back. Time to go through some allies. Do Ratkin need allies? If so, which ones? Oh, I don't think they need any. Okay, no, they're they're OP. Anything that you take is just reducing the strength of the, the army. That's complete rubbish. They're um, a largely low movement army. You can take complete fast stuff. OP. But they're, <laughs> not, they're not a super fast army. I suppose they're middle, middle speed. They're not, not exactly slow, but relatively low defense, relatively low nerve. So things that are either very fast or very tough are a nice thing to ally in, I reckon. I mean, I don't generally do allies just as a rule of thumb, not really because... You know, not really for any reason. I just prefer to have the army look aesthetically looking all, you know, the same kind of vibe. But I've been toying with the idea of taking a couple of regiments of centaurs because they give you that speedy reach, which Ratkin kind of lack. 
hackpaws have it to an extent, but then really suffer from terrain, which centaurs don't. So that's kind of an interesting one, but I think that's... I, don't, I wouldn't exactly recommend that as a highly powerful option. I just kind of like the idea of it. But uh, yeah, like stone golems and things like that uh, are pretty nice little, if you want to sort of get as powerful as possible, or like ogre shooters to make your um, gun line. No, you Can you still take, take them, them or not? No. Oh, they're irregular now. Yeah. yeah. Anything with a lot of defense or a huge amount of speed is probably the, the holes, as it were, in the Ratkin list that could be filled. Or, or anything that's... a uh, it's a really hardcore can opener because with the exception of the demon and to a degree, what did we say? The impaler, which you'll only take in the occasional list. Mm. You don't have a lot that just has like a really high crushing value or something. So sometimes rat can, can struggle against lists that have a lot of defense six and things like that. Do you think the centaurs are worth though? Because they've only got 12 attacks and still defense four. I mean, they have pathfinder, but it's only 12 attacks. Uh, do I think they're really worth... Um, Maybe not. Like I suppose what I'm talking about in terms of something that's really fast or really tough or really heavy can opener, that's more if you want to take a powerful ally choice. I like the idea of having centaurs. I feel like it's you know, the the fluff of like the ratkin getting pushed out of the Chaos Dwarf sort of evil minds and whatever and trying to find a home somewhere in the forest or something and like, you know, befriending befriending some horse. Not, not exactly making best friends with centaurs, but like <laughs> But like mutually protecting their adopted home and having some centaurs sort of come out the woods and fight on their behalf or something is, isn't entirely um, beyond the realms of reality. I feel like uh, mm. allying with Chaos Dwarfs, on the other hand, is completely <laughs> anti-fluff, <laughs> but could be, uh, you know, reasonably good. I mean, I suppose you could just excuse it by saying you're playing Ratkin Slaves without using the Ratkin Slave list. Yeah. In which case, just use the Ratkin Slave list. Get over yourself, seriously. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of uh, dwarf-style units uh, are probably a nice kind of, like really tough units are kind of nice things to have in a Ratkin list. Earth Elementals, if you don't want to go the Abyssal Dwarf yeah. route. Earth Elementals, I guess. or um, Any of the Elementals, really. Yeah, anything that's just super, super tough. And just like cavalry that hit really hard is kind of a thing that, they always used to completely lack it. Now that they've increased the speed of both the Impaler and also the Tunnel Runners, I feel like it's less of a need. As it like it used to just be completely absent from the list outside the Demon, which made him even more essential. Mm. But now that they've got a bit of extra speed and punch, they don't need that as much. But hey, mm. yeah, something like that, I guess, if you really want to have allies. For, for 275 points, you can get uh, a regiment of rabble and a mincer mob regiment as well. They're not very fast, but... They're not very fast, but they've got that defense six in the front and a little bit of a can opener mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, type roll. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and they've got a big threat. With the mincer mob regiments, you have to take an item with them. Otherwise, they're just very bland and don't do a whole lot. Because they're only speed five, they're usually getting charged, and when they're getting charged, they're getting charged by something that can take them out, and it's only fourteen sixteen. Having something slower than your your speed six main line as well is probably a bit of a disadvantage, even if it's just speed five versus six. That does matter. Apologies for the interjection, but just while I was editing, I noticed that we gave you some incorrect information. The Mincer Mob unit is actually irregular, so it can't be taken as allies. Maybe a bit of punch, take some uh, Varengar mounted sons of Corgan. Mm. Yep, could say yeah. that for sure. But nah, just take Ratkin. Be, be a <laughs> man. Just take Ratkin. Take all Ratkin. Or a woman of uh, steely determination. Be a person of worth. <laughs> That's right, be a person of worth. <laughs> all right, let's go through some lists. Now, did you want to set the bar, Hugh, <laughs> and go through yours? Or do you want to uh, 
We want us to go first and you show us the light afterwards. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can necessarily <laughs> show you the light. It's I don't know. Like You're the best I... vacuum player in Australia, according to the ladder. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Me and the other two people that play vacuum. <laughs> 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 Yeah, you guys go first. You guys. I'll, I'll, I'm trying to find the list anyway. I can't seem to find it. I'll go through my joke list. Then, Sally, you can go through your proper list. I'll go through sure. my proper list and then we'll end up with Hugh. So, <laughs> we'll go talking about ranged abilities here. And I thought, oh, Rackin can do that pretty well. So, I've got two hordes of warriors. One of them's got the diadem of Dragonkind. These are for the unlocks. I've also got one horde of nightmares because they're dudes that shoot and they're a horde. And then I've taken three troops of claw shots. I've also got Ooh. five regiments of Vermintide to uh, block off anything that can charge them. Jesus. There's just to, they get it's in combat, they'll just disengage. I've also got three shredders, two death engine spewers, a warlock, and a swarm cryer with a boomstick for that little bit of inspiring. So that's your gun line list, huh? Yeah, that's just get in the way, disengage, shoot, disengage, shoot. <laughs> So it's pretty rubbish. <laughs> there you go. That's how it can be done. I don't know. It doesn't sound that rubbish. Yeah, it's super it's, competitive. Oh, it'd be awful to play. You're just yeah. standing there doing nothing, rolling dice until either you die or they die. That's gun lines, though, man. That just is how it is, right? That's how it works. But if, if you want a gun line, that's one way to do it. At least you've got a lot of manoeuvrable chaff and stuff. I, mm. <laughs> I still don't like it. Anyway, what do you got, Sally? All right. So mine's probably equally as crap. But uh, we'll see how we go. So I went with two vanilla regiments of warriors, just as some unlocks. Uh, two more regiments of spear warriors, uh, just as a more defensive type uh, deployment unlocks. Mm-hmm. Then a bit more of a hammer slash anvil with the shock troops. So I've got two hordes, both with plague pots, one with elite, one with vicious. Mm-hmm. Then I've got my hack paws with Brutal. So the way that my head was thinking about using these is just to get in there, just to cement a win of a combat. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if you can get those guys in the flank, I think they'll do all right. Then I went for a, a bit of a weird combination here. So I've got a regiment of Vermintide, a horde of Vermintide with the Mead of Madness, so the extra plus one. So they'll be D3 plus one on their random charge. <laughs> <laughs> then I've got a, a mutant rat fiend nice. and a brood mother in there. So my combination of those guys was to be able to keep the mutant rat fiend alive by the regiment and keep him buffed up with the brood mother. Mm. So that, that was my sort of little combo there. Chuck in the shredder there as well. I think that'll be helping out. And my army severely lacked some more reliable, inspiring for the four regiments that I've got. So I've got two uh, cries of the swarm just for uh, like 90 points for the two of them. So they can just hang out behind the two units. Two swarm babies. I was about to say, where's your inspiring at? Yeah, but yeah, a couple of swarm babies. It's just literally those four, I can sort of, should just tie things up nicely, I think. And uh, just with the inspiring, hoping to stick around, but then the shock troops will do most of the damage and... Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like a pretty solid list, give or take all that vermin tide nonsense. Still sounds, <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty pretty good. Method to the madness. All right. And now the list that I would take if I had the stuff would be something like a horde of spear warriors with plague pots and pipes of terror, brittle, and just a regiment of spear warriors with pots. That's just a deterrent there. Horde of Shock Troops kitted to the back teeth with uh, the Halberds, Pots, and Brewer Strength. 
seconds to make them super bashy. Nice. I've also got just some claw shots with piercing arrow just to make sure that things are going off. Two regiments of Vermintide to stall. I've also got a regiment of Tunnel Runners with the Brew of Sharpness with that extra ouch. Nice. And they're going to be assisted with a troop of Hackpaws and they'll be the chaff just to make sure that nothing charges the Tunnel Runners and that they can charge whatever they want. For the combat side, I've got a Mutant Rat Fiend who's going to sit around with the Shock Troops. Mm. And I've got two weapon teams dicking about doing their weapon team thing. Cool. For support, we've got a brood mum with the boots of levitation so she can zip about where she needs to be. Mm. Oh, cool. Swarm cry with Fane Chant. And a Night Terror who inspires. So that'll be running with the Cav. Mm, makes sense. Yeah, that seems pretty cool. Yeah. Bit nice of everything. Versatile bit of everything kind of list. Awesome. Not too scary. Yeah. But sort of quite a middling mixed arms kind of, kind of affair. I like it. Mm. Cool. All right. Well. And I've still got 30 points left over. Oh dear. <laughs> the list that I was going to talk about was my CanCon list mm-hmm. because I'm restricted to a degree by what figures I've got available and, mm. you know, as anyone is when they build their army. So I always build army lists with a view to what I can actually field rather than being like, yeah, seven hordes of shock troops or whatever. So, you know, taking that into account with within the confines of my fairly large Ratkin army, I think I still stand by this probably being pretty close to the most powerful 2,000 point list I could field. And I definitely think CanCon bore out that as a result. I only lost one game in that event and it was against an extremely powerful undead army and i had a lot of poor dice in the game so i think notwithstanding that one glitch i think this particular list has performed very well for me and is significantly better than say some of these other lists that i've talked about uh, over the course of the podcast like that previous one i took to you know with all the weird shooting elements and stuff so i can I'm pretty sure i can recite it more or less off the top of my head anyway so uh two hordes of shock troops to hold the center I had one with the halberds and one with the plague pots, hopefully, you know, fulfilling very slightly but similar roles, so slightly different. Mm-hmm. Also had the abomination to stand in between them and make sure that they're rallied as often as possible. That's the mutant rat fiend. That's the mutant rat fiend, yep. Also had the tangle uh, to, again, hold down the center, chuck some banechan about and uh, inspire and also give aura fury. That's probably the bit that I could as we've talked about, change out for potentially a warlock or a whatever. Overall, I think that that piece performed very well, especially accompanied by two weapon teams. So fireball thirty, sort of. If you, it's really actually stronger than that because twenty of it's piercing and fireball mm. sometimes bigger, right near your center line there to protect that sort of center mass. So that was kind of one weapon formation, if you like, in the army. I then also had a regiment of tunnel runners with a brew of sharpness and a demon lord, which often would accompany one another on a flank and overload that flank. Those two units will take off anything in the game if they both charge the same thing. And if they then do that and rotate to face a flank, then you know your opponent's in a lot of trouble. So it depends how deployment goes and everything else. But if that does eventuate, that usually leads to successful games. Mm. I then had... A couple of regiments of spear dudes who just run around and be unit strength three and stand on objectives and walk over center lines and do nothing else and stuff like that. They, they were excellent throughout the whole event. Would take them again a lot. And I had a regiment of warriors. I think I must have had a few points left over. I gave them the plague pots and against non-cavalry units, they would try to like creep through forests and pop the plague pots and just hold things up and deter things for a while. And I found over the course of the event, they did significantly better than an equivalent of Vermintide or whatever would have done chucking in for their for their hundred points. 
And that's about all I can... I think I might have had claw shots as well. It's about all I can remember. I was very, very thin on the characters. Oh, I did also take a Swarm Crier with the Bane Chant loot. The loot. So three Inspirers, two of which rally, and one's rally two, one's rally one. Plenty of auras flying about the place to help protect that center mass and make it super, super solid and very hard to charge. Three Phalanx units, two Plague Pot units. So a lot of... This is very much that counterpunch kind of list that I was Mm. more or less describing. It doesn't have a lot of shooting, but it does have a long-range mind fog, a little bit of lightning, and a whole heap of breath weapony nastiness if anything comes too close or anything needs to get finished off. And I found those three units between the weapon teams and the tangle. If something got through one of the shock troops, or heaven forbid both of them got taken off, they were usually pretty heavily wounded by that point, and those three units can turn on it and just take it off. So, yeah, it was a strong, solid list. It was fairly low unit strength as far as Ratkin goes, despite a few regiments of spear-holding fools that just ran around and added unit strength to stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, it had a very solid center and usually one very solid flank and the other one that just tried to help hold people up. So I sort of, when writing the list, I would think of the game plan of those kind of unit mm. uh, sections, if you like. What, what, are they, what would you call them? Like a formation almost or... Yeah. Something like that. Battle group. Battle group, yeah, is a, is a popular term at the moment. And deploying in that way on nearly every map. If Mike, it was Mike Crossman that taught me to focus on your own deployment and where you want to put your own units versus the scenario, more so than trying to worry about where your opponent's putting things and trying to like counter their positioning too much. Sometimes you overthink that and then your own deployment suffers. You just sort of focus on... Since I've been focusing more on my own deployment, where are my units going to go in terms of the plan? What's the plan for my army? Forget what my opponent's army's doing. I can sort of counter that once the game starts, but having a solid plan from the start, I suppose the next level is to have that solid plan and then adapt it significantly based on what your opponent does, which you can do sometimes. But yeah, yeah having that sort of that battle group scheme and like one solid flank and one weaker flank and the demon just flying around being a solid boss... And like, good luck if the if the two shock troops charge you, or the shock troops and one and the uh, mutant rat fiend, or some combination thereof. It's so so hard to get through that center. Even if you break one of the units, the other two will charge you, and you've got thirty breath to deal with. Yeah, the center's a nightmare to face off against. There's basically one flank, and your opponent have to really look at barreling up that flank. Otherwise, uh, they're going to be in a tough spot. So that's two thousand points of what I think is a very solid Ratkin list. And you've done well and with it. I think it. you'd be hard pressed to write one that's significantly better than that. I don't know. The uh, the gunline one is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like. <laughs> If you compare that list versus any of the three lists that you guys have described, I'm pretty confident you could walk over them with it, if, if only because of the demon. Like it had a sort of equivalent level of power across most of the rest of the units. But then that demon's there to just turn any combat extra into favor. It's just because the points are really, really tightly squeezed. Mm. I did forget uh, Tunnel Runners in my list as well. I had a regiment uh, in there with Jesse's boots. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. That definitely makes your list uh, significantly <laughs> better. More, uh, yeah. yeah, really good unit, the Tunnel Runners. I'd, I'd recommend most Ratkin players bringing one of those units along these days. Fast and punchy. Mm. They don't have a heap of unit strength, but yeah, just it just it's a, it's a list that really needs some fast punch. I'd like to experiment with the Impaler a little bit more, especially in my, my post-demon life now that I need to... I've just got a self-imposed uh, restriction on not taking the demon in, <laughs> in lists and test yourself. It's certainly not been going as well. <laughs> I've still won some games and stuff, but I've lost some as well. Uh, not doing as well without old demon face, but uh, well, 
you need yeah. to learn to walk without the crutch. So give it That's a right. bit of time and then your leg muscles will strengthen up and then you'll be fine. Yeah, and then I can use the crutch as a bat once I uh, go <laughs> and put it back on the list again. Love it. All right. I think that concludes our Ratkin Army deep dive. Mm. Overall, OP. Yep. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> <job>. <laughs> that is so not OP. Does anyone actually think that? I just like OP? stirring you up. <laughs> in in uh, all seriousness, like in terms of the meta, I think they're definitely a good army. They're very good. I don't think that they're OP, but I think they're. They can do everything. They're probably in the top half of power of armies, but. They're not. I don't think they quite approach those top few that just have a little bit of an edge on everyone else, which is obviously Abyssal Dwarves and uh, one or two others. Yeah. But no, they're still a sexy list. They're great. <laughs> now, I think they play the scenarios really, really well because of their cheap access to unit strength. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you've, when you've got all that, as well as a couple of really tough units, uh, as well as some versatile units. And a dragon. Dragon always helps. And a dragon-ish sort of thing it just makes them a really well-rounded army yeah got a bit of everything they, they play quite a lot like goblins uh, in a lot of the lists that they they play out like lots of unit strength but goblins tend to focus a little bit more on the shooting side of things you can build ratkin lists that way and i think some players would say the strongest possible ratkin list is you know you've you've got your demon and then you've got like four warlocks and a heap of claw shots to back up all those hordes of shock troops and maybe that is mm. The best, but investing all that points in lightning, I just don't see as as powerful as perhaps other people do. Just as I don't think goblin lists with nine war machines are actually that good. Mm. But you know, that's just my personal view. I just think there's a lot of ways around that kind of list. It's a bit too one dimensional for me. Yep. All right. Okay. So that'll do for now. If you have any comments or opinions in the negative or opposite, let us know on all of our social medias. Send us an email if you want. I don't think we've gotten any emails. Very unloved. Otherwise, we will probably see you. I guess we won't see you because of the uh, isolation that we everyone should be doing, right? Mm-hmm. We'll, uh, we'll see you on the interwebs, which is probably where we would have interacted with you to begin with. So no huge difference there. But before I let any of you lovely listeners go, let me say one thing. I know I promised to... Well, not promise. Promise is a strong word. I lied about <laughs> sending... <laughs> An assassin to anyone who voted Ratkin as the first list. Uh, something tells me that might have skewed the votes somewhat. <laughs> it's Selleck's fault, not mine, to be fair. He made, the, he made the voting system such that it was anonymous, so I can't tell who voted for Ratkin. Sorry, that's my excuse. I can't send you an assassin. But I tell you what, first, uh, first listener to share this episode and say something rad about Ratkin, and only the first because I've only got a limited number of assassins, only uh, you know a couple of dozen of available i'll send out a fully painted assassin to the first person to do that and that's the truth this time Mm. can we just put a hashtag ratkin on uh, that first post okay so the person who comments they need to have hashtag ratkin sounds good hashtag ratkin sharing direct misfire the beautiful ratkin uh army list which uh, we might as well give up on on uh doing army reviews now because this has been the best one no Uh, don't want to peak too early do we? Oh, it's too late for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just getting started. It's going to get a whole lot better. That's what happens when you go first. Anyway, thanks, guys, for joining us, talking about rats, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, you're staying safe and not getting the rona and keeping everyone else safe that is vulnerable. All right, guys. We'll see you soon. See ya. Bye. The revolt and breakout was a maelstrom of blood, fear, teeth, and gore. 
When they turned on their masters and creator, they showed no mercy. Thousands of abyssal dwarfs died as the vast pack boiled through the horrors on its way deeper into the earth. Unknown to their overlords, the Redkin had been preparing for this moment for years. Miles and miles of new tunnels had been burrowed away from the abyss, far away in an escape route that would expedite the flight of new species of evil. Somewhere they could form their own destiny and plot revenge on the wickedness that had spawned them. More than a century after the Exodus, the Redkin are a menace that have plagued many of the civilized lands. Tales of savage beasts, of arcane magics and bizarre contraptions all marching to war. Names have attached themselves to the rumors like moths to a flame. The Scourge, Underkill, the Swarm, Skitterfans. The Redkin have learned from their masters. They have built their own battle engines, having stolen the knowledge from their war factories of the dwarves and fashioned them into their own image. They have learned about cruelty and suffering firsthand as they watched from the shadows and slaves. They saw the iron casters in their forges blending machine, flesh, and magic to construct lethal artifacts of war. Awesome, we did it.